Hi, this is Steve Mitchell, director of King Cohen and the co-writer of Chopping Mall, and you are listening to Without Your Head. station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. That would make me terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And joining us is the director of many cult classics, some of my all-time favorites. We have William Lusting on the air, and I'm very, uh, very proud to have you part of the show. Yep, well, I'm on. happy to be here. Excellent. Yeah. Now, I uh, actually just watched uh, King Cohen, uh, the Larry Cohen uh, documentary. Now, uh, <clears throat> how did you get involved with him to, uh, to work on you know, a lot of projects? Um, we were introduced by a, a, uh, an executive at a lab in New York, um, very nice gentleman, uh, Dan Sandberg, who said, you know, you two guys, you're very similar. You guys should meet. And, you know, and uh, so he put us together and... Uh, and uh, within a couple of years, we came up with the idea for Maniac Cop. Yeah. It was it a good working relationship? Uh, it's, it's had its hills and valleys. <laughs> right. It's like any relationship. Uh, 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 for Maniac Cop, uh, you know, I watched it again recently. I grew up, you know, I, I saw it many times. But watching it again, I'm, you know, you see stuff that you don't necessarily see when you're a kid. I'm like... You know, this had to be pretty edgy to have, you know, a movie where you're just, you know, like the, the cop is a killer and he's not like a vigilante. He's just, you know, killing innocent people. And then like, uh, you know, regular people are, are shooting the cops because they're afraid. Was there like a lot of backlash at the time? 
Um, actually, no, there wasn't any backlash on it. It was, um, <laughs> there was, yeah, there really wasn't. Um, you know, the cops really have a good sense of humor. And my brother is mm-hmm. a prosecutor in Los Angeles, and uh, he actually appears in, in the movie. And uh, he had a poster of the movie hanging in his office. And, of course, you know, cops came into his office all the time. And uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was fine. They, 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 get, they saw the humor in it. Yeah. It would probably be uh, worse today, I think. Because uh, there's, you know, so much, uh, you know, Blue Lives Matter and, and, and people kneeling, you know, pro- uh, against the police and stuff. So I think it, it, you think it would be harder to put out today. I know there is plans to make a, a remake. Yeah, honestly, I don't think so. I think people see it as, as a satire. You know, that, that, that it was a satire and they see it for what it is. Um, it's, I, you know, I, I, I really don't, I think this, the movie kind of is what it is. It's not, nobody really just takes it that seriously. Yeah. And obviously, uh, Bruce Campbell is in it. What was uh, Bruce Campbell like at the time? Oh, great. Bruce is, um, uh, it was Bruce's first non Sam Raimi movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, we had a lot of fun. He's a great guy and. He's a trooper and he's a professional, and I have nothing but good things to say about Bruce. He was, uh, he was. I, I really enjoyed working with him. Mm-hmm. And what was it about Robert Zedar that made going? Go on, sir. Well, um, you know, one of the things Bruce wanted to do all his own stunts, and he even wanted to do that stunt at the end of the film where the truck goes off the pier, <laughs> and. Uh, and he and I were standing together. I'll never forget this. We were standing together, uh, watching, you know, um, uh, witnessing the, the scene with the guy, you know, with the stunt guy doubling for him. I said, Bruce, you still want to do it? You still wanted to do it? And, you know, it was very dangerous. But uh, now Bruce is great. He, he, he'll, he, he wants to do everything. And he, you know, great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about casting Robert Zedar? Because I can't really imagine anyone else playing Maniac Cop. Uh, did you know him beforehand? Like, how did he how did he become the Maniac Cop? Um, he became the Maniac Cop because I had seen a movie that Robert Zedar was in called Night Stalker. Not we're not talking the Darren McGavin. We're talking um, uh, one that was made in the um, in the eighties and. Uh, it didn't get much play, but I thought he was fantastic in it. Uh, he was frightening. And, um, and, uh, so when it came to casting the maniac cop, he was always in my mind. I didn't know him. And, uh, uh, I had the casting person bring him in. And frankly, the day he, I was to meet him, I, I was a little nervous because he had made such an impression on me and he turned out to be a sweetheart, a really nice man. Rest mm-hmm. in peace. You know, really, really, yes. really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just asking about Tom Atkins because he was a guy I always enjoyed seeing in any uh, anytime you pop up in a in a horror movie in the eighties. Tom Atkins. Uh, I, I met Tom Atkins when I would travel to L.A. Uh, from New York. I would uh, stay at a place called the Sportsman's Lodge in Studio City, and Tom also stayed there, and we would. Uh, run into each other at the, at the hotel bar 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I really admired him. I, I, you know, his work and, and we would chat and very, very nice man. And, um, I can't say we became friends, but we became friendly. And when maniac cop came along, he, he was like the first actor to pop in my head for that role. And I really wanted mm-hmm. him. He's perfect in it. And, uh, how about like, uh, getting like the parade shot? I mean, that's a huge, uh, you know, the police parade. Well, the parade shots actually were the first things we, we filmed. Um, Larry and I had come up with the idea for Maniac Cop in, I don't know, forget it, in February. And, um, and we didn't have a script, but the next month was the St. Patrick's Day parade in New York. So I uh, went out and shot the St. Patrick's Day parade, again, without a clue of how it was going to fit in the movie. I called up Bruce Campbell, who was living in, uh, where he currently lives in Oregon, and I said, uh, Bruce, I need you to fly to New York and wear clothes that we could duplicate later. I want you to star in a movie called Maniac Cop. Don't ask me for a script because we don't have any. <laughs> uh, we don't have a script. And uh, Sam was in New York, Sam Raimi. And uh, he was waiting for the financing for Dark Man. And I said, Sam, you want to help me shoot the St. Patrick's Day parade? He says, great, but do I have a role in the movie? So I told um, I told uh, Larry, uh, why don't we come up with something for Sam to do? And he became the uh, news reporter. And again, he refers to characters, and there was no script, and he refers to characters that had yet to be written. So it was kind of fun, and it all, and it fit in. It fit into yeah. the picture. When he said, "Yeah," <clears throat> when, when he said, it, "Go ahead." I was gonna say, "Well, you're going to say," but I was gonna say when you uh, said you didn't have a script, so was it just like an idea, maniac cop? Yeah, it was an idea. It was an idea, and. We didn't have a script until probably, um, I would say, six or eight weeks after we shot the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then we filmed the movie in August. We Actually, we didn't have the financing to make the movie. We, I, I, I kind of came out of my own pocket to go and shoot that stuff. And uh, then we uh, found the financing from Jim Glickenhaus, and uh, we started shooting the movie. Uh, we started pre-production and in July and started shooting in August. Mm-hmm. So how, how, how far, yeah. How far along was the idea? Did you have like the basic, uh, idea of what the whole movie would be or was it just the maniac cop is a cool name? Well, the truth is, yeah, that was it. We had the, we had the title and we had a <laughs> copy line. You have the right to remain silent forever. So, <laughs> so with those two things, the copy line and the, um, and the title, we, we knew we had a movie, and now it was just a question of shooting it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, how about uh, uh, filming in New York itself? I always think any of the New York movies of the 70s, 80s always have like a really special feel to them. Well, in the case of Maniac Cop, we only shot in New York uh, the St. Patrick's Day Parade plus an oh, okay. additional three and a half days. Oh, all right. Uh, the rest of it was shot in Los Angeles, doubling for New York. Oh, okay. Uh, but so, I did uh, shoot Maniac and Vigilante entirely in New York. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to Maniac. Maniac's, uh, this might sound strange, but one of my favorite movies since I was, since I was a kid was uh, was Maniac. 
probably I since I was very young, like six or so. Yeah. But uh, Maniac Cop 2, I always like it when the sequels pick up right where the other one ended. Uh, and even ca- you get to see like the end of the previous movie. Yeah, well, uh, that was the intent. The intent was it was a direct sequel um, and picked up right after the uh, first one ended. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of liked it because it reminded me of the Republic serials. Uh, that's how I kind of saw it as yeah. a Republic serial uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. When, when do you consider Maniac Cop becoming supernatural? You know, I, I when I was doing the first Maniac Cop, the truth is I really hadn't figured out exactly what he is. I I. I couldn't figure out if he was a zombie or he was a, a vengeful cop. I sort of settled on a restless ghost idea that he was a, that, that, you know, it was a, 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 a the spirit of somebody who, who, um, who had come back, um, with a, to settle a score. Um, mm-hmm. did you ever, did you guys ever see a movie called point blank with Lee Marvin? Oh yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that one. Now, to me, Maniac Cop and Point Blank were, um, it kind of had the same thought. I had the same thought. And if you watch Point Blank, you can look at that as a restless ghost movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if you, how, when the last time you saw it, but if you recall at the beginning of the movie, he gets screwed over during the, during the heist by his friend who right. shoots him and leaves him for dead in a jail cell on Alcatraz. And if you remember, uh, Lee Marvin had uh, like brown hair in that scene. And then it picks him up on the, on the shore of San Francisco, and he's got the trademark Lee Marvin gray hair. And, uh, and when he's talking to people, often they don't look at him. He's talking away from them. It, I'm going to have to see look, the movie again. <laughs> yeah, you look at it, and and you could, and you could, you could look at it as being a ghost story um, of this gangster who had been screwed over, and he's coming back in to get his his revenge because all he has is one thing in mind: is getting his money. And in the end, when they give him his money, all he does is recede into the darkness. He backs into the darkness, doesn't go to get his money. The money sits there. The helicopter pulls away. His money is sitting in the middle of Alcatraz, and he has sort of gone back into the darkness. He recedes into the darkness. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in my mind, that's what Maniac Cop was, Mm -hmm. was Lee Marvin in Point Blank. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that his, uh, you know, the makeup has changed uh, to just show like his face is, uh, you know, is worse uh, from the first movie. In the second one, um, right? Yeah, I mean, we kind of improved I, I, a little bit on the makeup, or you know, it was we were we, we again we were I had actually shot all of the close-ups of the maniac cop in the first movie and went back and changed the makeup and reshot him. So it was so Maniac Cop Two was sort of a third uh, version of the of the makeup, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah, you know, it, it's it was kind of hard to settle on it. Yeah. So uh, I like, uh, you know, he kind of, a friend in the movie, it kind of reminds me almost of Bride of Frankenstein when, when uh, Frankenstein finds the blind man. But, uh, you know, this guy's not as benevolent as, as that guy. But uh, uh, where did, well, I don't know if you, you wrote it up, but uh, where where did the idea for the friend come from? Are you talking about the serial killer? Yes. Well, um, the idea of the serial killer came from Larry Cohen. Um, but my, my, um, my direction to the actor in my thinking is I saw him as Igor and, and son of Frankenstein. I saw oh, okay. him as Bella Lugosi. Yep. Yep. Lugosi in that one. And that's why we have that beard and everything. And so, uh, what Leo did was kind of run with it and make him a white trash. You know, obviously he's not going to do a Hungarian accent. But he's, he's gonna, he, he made him a, a white trash Igor. Yeah. And yeah, I like it. That was the uh, that was the idea of that. And uh, Robert Davi, I, my only direction to Robert Davi is I said you're you're Robert Ryan in the movie on Dangerous Ground. <laughs> and that was it. You know, <laughs> that's who I wanted. <laughs> uh, See, the key all... to the, the key to the Maniac Cop films. Mm-hmm is the actors don't know they're in a comedy. Everybody's got to play it straight. Everybody's, mm-hmm. but what's going on around them is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So that's how I've always looked at the Maniac Cop films. They got to play it like, you know, with gravitas. And, you know, so Robert Dobby is so perfect for that. He was so perfect in Maniac Cop 2 for that. Yeah. yeah. And if you have people not playing it serious, then it just comes off like campy. Exactly. I didn't want that. I wanted it to be, you know, this, this, you know, you know, you know, this kind of, you know, ridiculous premise trapped in, in a, in a police movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of a uh, man on fire in, uh, and this is, you know, pre-CG man on fire. A lot of like even fight scenes with, with a uh, maniac cop and fire. What was it like? You know, what's it like to shoot that? Uh, especially for so many well, scenes. Usually if it's made of fire, they just kind of walk and they just follow. Yeah, over. no, it was a very slow, slow process. I want to, I, I, my recollection um, was that it took at least three or four days to shoot that scene because it was so, I'm talking about just the interior of the prison. I'm not even talking the high fall. I'm talking just the interior prison. Uh, my recollection is it took at least three or four days to shoot. It was just a very wow. slow, slow process. Well, you mm-hmm. can't rush somebody who's going to be lit on fire. <laughs> yeah, you, know, I guess so. you know, you, you, you set up the cameras, you let the stunt people do all the safety checks and everything else. But you know, uh, the, the guy's going to go on fire and you know, you can't say, okay, hurry up. You know, we're going to break for lunch. No, you got to just have patience and, let them take the time they need. And uh, they did a fantastic job, and they didn't waste any time. You know, they, they did what they, you know, they did a great job. Oh, definitely. It still holds up. That's one thing I think never looks good in modern movies is any of the fire stuff that, that's uh, uh, generated because it never, never looks right. No, the hair doesn't Yeah, it's funny. I just watched me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying with like a computer generated fire 
person. Yeah. It just doesn't look natural. It doesn't. But I got to tell you, having said, you know, I, I agree with you. But when I watched it uh, the other day, I was uh, we screened it in New York, and I kept going, God, you know what I could do if we had some computer enhancement, you know, that we could do to the fire, because <laughs> the continuity of it is, you know, kind of changes from cut to cut. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. It's uh, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. What's that like when you when you go to the screenings and you watch uh, your your movies with an audience? Um, well, I really, I, 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 I'll show up at screenings, but I'll usually sit outside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I, I don't often sit through the movies and, um, uh, you know, so it's, it's, I had a fun night, you know, it was fun. I, the one we had in Philly a few weeks ago and in New York, I mean, they were fun, but I, I, I can't sit through the movies often. I usually come in towards the end. Because they they're you yeah. know getting ready to be called up to do the Q and A. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, then you can catch the rap. What, what was the story behind the Maniac Cop rap? The story was I wanted to end it with a with a with a laugh. I wanted to tell the audience we didn't take it seriously, and you shouldn't either. And that's what the rap was uh-huh. about. I came to Jay Chataway just almost as a joke. I said, wouldn't it be funny if we had a Maniac Cop rap song at the end of the movie? And while, you know, unbeknownst to me, he went off and uh, worked with a couple of people and came up with the song. And the only reason I knew he was going to do it is while we were mixing the movie, he was bringing people in for auditions. And I'm wondering why these black groups were coming in to the studio. I had no idea they were com- they were kind of coming in and he was going off and meeting with them and and that's when I found out that he was auditioning people to sing the Maniac Cop rap song. <laughs> what did you I think of it, it when I, you first heard it? Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was fantastic. It was yeah. it was so it was so it was just great. I love no, the thing where he goes uh uh, you know, shoot him with a jacuzzi. He'll wind, uh, no, shoot him with a Uzi. He'll wind up in your jacuzzi. Come on, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, no, uh, a lot of people consider Maniac Cop two one of the best horror sequels that they. Some people, a lot of people, like it better than the first one. What, what are your feelings on that? Well, I got to tell you, um, when I was making uh, when the when the when the uh, when the idea of doing a Maniac Cop 2 came about, I was really reluctant to do it because at that time, and even today, you put a 2 at the end of the movie, and it's inevitably going to suck. I mean, very, very few sequels are equal or surpass the first movie. And um, when, I, um, when I read Larry's script... I was pleasantly surprised. I said, boy, this is really good. I really, you know, I started to see the movie in front of me, and that's always a good sign. And so when I was making uh, Maniac Cop 2, when I was preparing it and shooting it, the words, you know, know, in my head kept going, you know, don't make it suck. Don't make it suck. You know, I really, really worked hard to make it, as good, if not better, than the first movie. I kind of looked at it as a as an improved, a new and improved version. 
So um, I'm pleased at the way it came out. I think we succeeded in my goal of not making it suck. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, that, that's, that was, I, I, I did it, you know. We, we, uh, mm-hmm. I met my goal. Yeah. And I, uh, let me mention her, uh, Laureen uh, Landon in the movie. Uh, I see her. She's in a lot of uh, Larry Cohen movies. I don't know if she's friends with him or not, but yeah, she's uh, how very is she good friends with Larry? Oh, well, okay. that's just it. She's friends with Larry. Yeah, she sort she's of really came. With, yeah, she. It was a kind of a package deal that Larry wanted me to put her in the movie. No, uh, all right. Uh, how but, how was she to uh, work with him? Um, it, she was okay. You know, she was okay. Um, you know, she was fine. She, uh, um, yeah, Laureen, Laureen was okay. All right. Uh, so, uh, Maniac Cop 3, uh, so you're happy with the second one. When does, uh, when does it come up to do a third one? Well, almost immediately. Um, you know, there was a real want for a third picture. And I was busy on another film, and uh, I wasn't available uh, to do part three. And, um, and I frankly didn't want to do it. I was not crazy about the idea of, I kind of feel like I was pushing my luck. And, um, and, uh, Larry, uh, wrote a script, not nearly as good as Maniac Cop 2, but not nearly as bad as what the finished film Maniac Cop 3 turned out. Um, it was, it was, a, it was really a, a much different movie than, than what you see in Maniac Cop 3. Um, it was uh, much more of a, well, firstly, Robert Davi wasn't, his character wasn't in it. It was a mm-hmm. black detective. The movie was set in Harlem. And um, it was just uh, really a different movie. And uh, the problem that we had was that uh, the Asian territories, in particular Japan, wouldn't um, commit to uh you know, to their portion of the financing of the film. Um, and uh, it turned out that their reluctance was having a black man in the lead. And, oh, wow. um, and so uh, to make a long story short, I, 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 was, I was sort of pressed upon me. Could we, could we change it and put Robert Davi back in the movie? And, you know, the domino effect of it was something I, I sh- I should have foreseen. We should have, you know, we should have shut the movie down and re and redid the script. You know, we were in pre-production when we had to make that change, and we 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 never recovered from it. It just became shooting a you know a, 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 it was like shooting two movies. You know, it was like um, it was crazy. It, it mm-hmm. just never it it just didn't it just didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did that hurt? As a mess. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So I'll say at that time that that hurt your relationship with Larry. Um, maybe a little. I don't know. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it really hurt because we because I understood his position. Larry's position was: look, I wrote a script. Everyone was happy with it. You started pre-production. Now you're asking me to go and write an entirely different script. I want to get paid for it. The position right. of the producers were, well, we already paid you, and now we're, you're asking to be paid again to write a, to write a different script. 
Um, and I think Larry was more right than wrong because it was an entirely different script that, that, that was needed. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so I can't, but I kind of felt I was kind of left out, you know, kind of put in a really difficult position. Mm-hmm. So when you saw the finished product, uh, what did you think of it? I hated it. I just yeah. felt that it, it was what I knew it was going to be. It felt padded. You know, there were some moments in it, you know, that I thought came out pretty good. Um, but um, for the most part, I, I just really hated it because it, it just felt padded. Because when we ripped out all the stuff that was specific to the original script that Larry wrote, we wound up with maybe a 60-page script and we had to make a 90-minute movie out of it. Yeah. So there was so much of it. I didn't a lot of that padding. I didn't even shoot. It was shot by the producer, Joel Swasson, and because um, I, I really couldn't put my, yeah, I, I couldn't do it. I was just sitting there looking. I was bored. I said, "This is crazy. We're just shooting stuff to fill up running time." Mm-hmm. So it was not a good. It was not a good experience. Mm-hmm. So was there ever talks to do a fourth one? Um, no, I, they, I, funny enough, Maniac Cop 3 was successful. <laughs> I know it sounds strange, but it's right. as bad as I thought the movie was from a, from a financier's point of view, it was a profitable movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they knew that I, that I was so unhappy with three and, and I was kind of the linchpin. I mean, if they were to do a four, they had to hire Larry and I to do a fourth mm-hmm. one or pay us off. Right, right. So it was a kind of a, from a legal standpoint, it, just, it was just a, a, a situation where uh, it made it impossible for them to do a fourth one. And I don't think Larry and I really wanted to do a fourth. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Larry. I didn't. Yeah. So it just, you know, I wanted to move on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's talks, uh, it's, uh, Maniac Cop remake, uh, is that happening? Yes. It's, it's, again, it's not really a remake. It's a kind of a re-envision, a mm-hmm. re-envisioning of the concept. Um, Ed Brubaker wrote the script. Uh, Nick Reffin is producing it. Uh, and when, uh, uh, John Himes is directing it. Um, the thing is, is Nick got, uh, got uh, well, he got extremely busy doing this Amazon series that he's still in the midst of, of directing. Uh, he's directing. He's directing all ten episodes, and he doesn't finish with it until the fall. So uh, the Maniac Cop project had to be pushed till 2019. Oh, okay. Have you read the script? I've read a draft of the script. I haven't. I don't know if I've read the final script, or even if there is a real. I mean, there's never really a final script, but I don't know if I've read the latest draft because I know that yeah. that Ed and and John were doing some additional work on it. Hmm. Well, you not obviously can't talk about it, but uh, were you were you happy with it? Yeah, it's different. It's not. It's not the the maniac cop of Larry Cohen and Bill Lustig. It's um, it's taken a um, much more seriously. It's it's uh, 
you know, I Larry writes stuff as as you know, as satires as as uh, you know, uh, and and I I kind of directed it like you know, tried to find all the humor in it, and I kind of felt felt that the direction that these guys are going in is 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 kind of taking it seriously. So mm-hmm. we shall see. It's a different take yeah. on it, and they're all talented people. So mm-hmm. I I have confidence that they're going to do what's best for the project. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go back to Maniac. It was uh, honestly one of my favorite uh, horror movies. And uh, so how did you get involved in Maniac and Joe Spinell? I met Joe Spinell when I was a production assistant on a movie called The Seven Ups. Uh, Joe played a thug in there, and he and I um, chatted. Turned out he was a... Um, uh, you know, he was he, he was a huge horror fan. And, uh, you know, when horror fans meet each other, it's um, it's kind of like a bond. You know, you start <laughs> yeah. chatting about, oh, I love this movie, I love that movie, you know. Uh, so Joe and I became friends. And uh, we um, we kind of talked about, let's, let's make a horror movie. And we, you know, we developed some ideas. Joe was very busy as a character actor work going all over the world working in movies but we would talk on the phone and when he'd be in new york between movies we would get together and 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 brainstorm ideas and um and we always ran into a roadblock in raising money you know the we would come up with ideas and we just they were too ambitious and we just could not raise the money to make them happen so Finally, out of frustration, um, we decided the script that we had for Maniac, we decided to pare it down, focusing on just the killer and, and getting rid of all the peripheral characters and, um, and uh, putting our own money in the bank and started shooting the movie. We, started, we, we shot the movie for $48,000 and uh, we just did it with our own money. And, uh, well, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't what the final cost of the film was because we went back and added Caroline Monroe. I mean, the yeah. character was there. We just hadn't shot those scenes. Oh. Uh, so we had uh, we had shot, I think, about three weeks. Uh, and then we ran out of money, but we were still editing the movie. And, uh, and then by chance, Caroline was in New York for the Fangoria Convention. And Joe and her reunited. Joe and her had done Star Crash. And, um, and her husband said, I'll raise the money you need to finish the movie. And he wound up raising uh, $75,000. And with that, we finished the movie. Cool. Post-production and, uh, and everything. So you said her character was already in it. Uh, was she already cast to be in it? Or was no, someone else no, in no, that but character? there was a character yeah. that was in the script that was intended to be um, it was intended to be, uh, you know, uh, we wanted to put somebody who had a little bit of celebrity in the part and mm-hmm. we hadn't cast it yet. So it just all kind of, it just all fell into place. It was sort of fate. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I to ask about the poster cause, uh, to me, I, th- I think it's my favorite, uh, horror movie poster. You know, it's really sleazy, obviously. And, uh, it's just awesome. Uh, did you have any, uh, any hand in, in uh, designing the poster? None whatsoever. It was done by uh, our distributor, Analysis Film Corporation. Um, 
they called me in when they had the poster, when they had, you know, a sketch of the poster. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was taken aback by it. <laughs> and I didn't know what to make of it because I had never seen anything like it. And, um, and these guys were so happy with it. And, uh, and so, um, you know, and I really had nothing negative to say about it. I just sure. was so shocked that they were going to go <laughs> out with a poster like that. Yeah. And, and, uh, so, um, I, it was their idea. They were brilliant, those guys. Mm-hmm. So, uh, w- 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 was there any backlash to the poster? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was the thing. That was the lightning rod, was the poster. Uh-huh. That's what got us the attention, was the poster. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that, that rattled all of the cages, all the women's groups and press. and It, it brought down everybody on us. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it also brought attention to the movie. So. Pardon? I said, but it also brought attention to the movie. It did. I'll, I'll tell you something funny. MPAA for years used the Maniac poster as an example of why they had to approve any movie that was MPAA rated, <laughs> saying that this poster represented everything they they they're against. <laughs> So I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of proud that it was it was you know of having that. Um, yeah, that's a distinction yeah. no one else has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely it definitely was a. I mean, I'm I'm happy. I mean, the film. You know, we just did a 3D version of it. We just really? um, yeah, because we're coming out with a a new Blu-ray, and mm-hmm. uh, we did a new. What happened was. About two months, three months ago, uh, we found the long-lost 16-millimeter original camera negative of Maniac. Mm -hmm. Everything up till then, up to now, had all been transferred from the 35-millimeter blow-up negative. And uh, all the video transfers, all the prints, everything was struck from that 35-millimeter blow-up negative. So now we found the negative, which was it goes back a generation to the original negative that went through the camera, and so mm-hmm. we've we've we scanned it in 4K, and we're about to do a, a new Blu-ray release. Mm-hmm. And uh, why 3D? Pardon? Why why 3D? Oh, just to give the uh, the the cover a distinction. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, the, we're going to use the same artwork. We wanted to give it distinction over what had previously been out. So we, we, did, we, we, we tried, we did an experiment to do a, a, a 3D cover, and it came out spectacular. Mm. So uh, that's what we're going with. Yeah. And we're going to be doing... I, we're yeah. going to be doing I thought you meant screening. a 3D movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. We're, oh, no, we need to make a 3D <laughs> movie. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought you meant but, too. I was like, no, wow, no, it's the, uh, the artwork. You were, oh, we were yeah, talking yeah, about the artwork. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. And um, and 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 with the new 4K restoration, we're doing screenings all around the country, and around the world. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! No, very great. Cool. Yeah, uh, prior so, to the release of the Blu-ray. So, so when you do the restoration, because um, I uh, usually restorations are amazing, but uh, sometimes I'm like a 
on like gritty movies, I think they make them a little too bright. Is uh, are you going to be kind of hands on on the restoration? So oh yeah, gonna, I'm definitely know. hands on on the restoration on on the film. Um, I don't think that's going to be a concern of it being too bright. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the movie will have its inherent grittiness because it was shot in 16 millimeter on location, mm-hmm. often without any any lights. So it does have an inherent grittiness to it, um, but. Uh, we're not going to use any DVNR or anything to smooth it out. We're not doing any digital noise reduction. Everything, mm-hmm. all the restoration is all hand restoration, which mm-hmm. requires hundreds and hundreds of hours of work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's so, more like a labor uh, of love kind of thing. No, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a labor of love. It's just sure, a lot of work. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just a lot of work. Yeah. It's, it's what I would do even if it wasn't my movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Cisco and Ebert at the time they did like you know specials about um, uh, women and in, in, uh, women and I forget their the terminology is women in danger I think movies. Uh, when that was going on, uh, did that hurt your movie? Did that help the movie? You know, what, what, what did you think of you know uh, such uh, the big uh, movie critics you're talking about these movies on TV? Well, it certainly drew attention to the movie. Um, mm-hmm. In some places, it did hurt, uh, where we had uh, street protests, like in Philadelphia. Um, you know, there was women's groups who were really um, riled up against the movie. And um, it hurt our distributor because a distributor doesn't make a profit theatrically on a film until like the third and fourth week of its run. And mm-hmm. um, and the theater owners were pulling the film after the first and second week, stating that, look, you know, we got these protesters and we have to live in these communities. You don't. And mm-hmm. uh, so it kind of hurt the distributor um, uh, a little bit. And it hurt the, um, you know, it hurt the, the, the film rentals against, you know, what the, their cost was for all the advertising. Mm-hmm. But um, did go ahead. Did he? Did either of them actually ever review the movie? Yes, they did. They they had a they had a show um, where they they had a thing at that time. They called them. They had the dog spot. I don't know if you remember that. And spot yeah, the dog. Would, little, you would, they would, they, yeah, would, they would say that. dog of the week. And uh-huh. so Maniac was on one of their shows, the dog of the week, and they they gave it a you know a scathing review. But funny enough, I met Roger Ebert years later. I was editing Maniac Cop 2, and he was editing something in an adjacent editing room. And I uh-huh. went in and introduced myself to him, and we chatted. And he, you know, he's, he was a very, he's a very, well, he was a very nice guy. And I had a Maniac poster hanging in the editing room, and I brought <laughs> it in. I said, Roger, would you mind signing my Maniac poster? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, "To Bill, your movie must have your movie was Dog of the Week, but you're a really nice guy. You're pal Roger, so that was very nice of him." Aha! Uh, hi, this is Herschel Gordon Lewis, and you are listening to WithoutYourHead.com. All right, we're back here, and sorry for uh, technical problems, but uh, we're going to talk about uh, Maniac and. Uh, Joe Spinell, who was in, you know, he's in a lot of like uh, a character actor in a lot of big movies. 
And uh, but he had no problem like uh, being like a real sleazy, you know, killer and maniac. So, well, go ahead. No, you could go on. What you say? No, Joe. Uh, Joe loved making Maniac. It was it, for him uh, a starring role and owning, uh, uh, you know, profits in the film. And uh, it was those two reasons, I think those were his two primary reasons, that he wanted to make the movie. Plus, he loves horror films. Um, what happened was Joe did a movie with Warren Oates, and Warren Oates said to Joe, he said, you know, the most money that he ever made on a movie was from Race with the Devil, because he owned, him oh, yeah. and Peter Fonda owned percentages of the film. And that stuck with Joe, that there was gold in horror. And, uh, yeah, and it came from Warren Oates with, uh, it came from Warren Oates. Mm-hmm. So how about the scalpings in the movie? Because uh, I don't think I've ever seen that in a horror movie before that. Yeah, we were looking for some, you know, some new things that none of us had seen. And, you know, you we're talking about Joe, myself, and Tom Savini. Collectively, we must have seen every mm-hmm. horror film ever made. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, we were trying to do things that, it, that we had never seen before. And, or if we had, we tried to find something innovative, you know, to, to do with it. And so, yeah, that's where the scalping came in as a kind of a trophy. Because, you see, what Joe did was create a compilation of serial killers in his character. And one of the things that serial killers would do is is take a trophy from their murders. And then we said, well, if he, if he, what kind of trophy would he, would he take and what would he do with it? And that's where the idea of him having mannequins, uh, that he had an obsession over mannequins and, uh, he would take the scalps of his victims and some of their wardrobe and put it on his mannequins. How about just technically, uh, pulling off like the, the, the scalpings? Oh, it was a very simple, simple, uh, from a from a, uh, a special makeup effects standpoint, all it really was was uh, mortician wax and, uh, and creating, and Tom creating an appliance uh, to put over the, the, the hair and, uh, of the actress. But mm-hmm. uh, it was very simply done, and that's what makes it effective. I think yeah. when you get involved with CGI killings like they had in the Maniac remake, mm-hmm. I, it, it, somehow you know it's CGI. Even if you don't know, you know, no, no, it's CGI. You sense mm-hmm. there's something unnatural about it. Right, right. Whereas yeah. the way Tom did things, it was very organic. Mm-hmm. I always think there's something about, like, the weight's not there on the CG. And like you exactly said, even if you would know that, something about your eye and your mind, you don't know is that it's not, it's not really there. Exactly. There's always something that's a telltale sign, even subconsciously that there's something not right about it. Mm-hmm. In the remake, I actually liked the remake. I thought it was really well done. I don't know what you thought of it, but mm-hmm. uh, I thought the, uh, probably the worst scene is the opening with, I think, cause I thought the, uh, the, sc- the scalp, the scalping right at the beginning, looked just didn't look good. You know, I, um, I, my feeling was that they should not have shown it right at the beginning, that they, that the, the, you take the same scene 
And when he goes to scalp her, I would have done a whip pan to the wall and shown mm. a silhouette of what he's doing and let mm. the audience sort of imagine it, you know, mm -hmm. but you'd see him in silhouette doing what he was doing because I think showing it right at the beginning just diminishes the impact later on. I think yeah. that right. you want to kind of tease an audience a little bit. And mm -hmm. I didn't feel, you know, I kind of felt that that's the way I would have, if I was directing it, that's the way I would have staged it. I would have mm -hmm. kind of played with the audience a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously mentioned Tom, uh, Tom Savini earlier. Uh, did you know Tom Savini before uh, doing Maniac? No, I knew of him, um, but did you know him personally? No, I didn't know Tom personally. Uh, what happened was um, when we got ready to do Maniac, I, I had seen Dawn of the Dead, um, and I had seen Dawn of the Dead before it was ever released. I mm -hmm. saw it at a, at a private screening. I literally snuck into the projection booth and watched <laughs> it, and I thought the, 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 the makeup of – I thought the movie was spectacular, but I thought the makeup mm -hmm. effects were – were eye popping, uh, and, and and so I knew that that's the guy I wanted to do the special makeup effects. So I tracked Tom Sabini down when we were in pre-production on Maniac, and he was in happened to be in New Jersey shooting Friday the first Friday the thirteenth. Hmm. So Joe, Andy, and myself we we drove over to uh, the set of Friday the thirteenth uh, to meet with Tom. We had you know prearranged it, and and we went to meet with Tom and told him about the movie we're making. He was impressed that Joe was involved and um, said, yeah, I would do it. But he goes, I need a place to stay in New York. I just broke up with a girl in Pittsburgh, and I really don't want to go back there. So we arranged for a place for Tom to stay. Um, and so he, he came right from Friday the 13th to New York to work with us on Maniac. Wow. Yeah. And we became really good friends. We again, there was an instant bond between Joe and myself and Tom. Uh, you know, Tom is a is a man child. He always will, was and always will be. And so we just really, really got along well with him. Mm -hmm. And and that's when I learned that he was a Vietnam uh, photographer who was tasked mm -hmm. with um, photographing the aftermath of battles. And so um, by photographing all these extremely gruesome sites, was he, was, and, and it really informed his, his makeup. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it's kind of interesting that something yeah. so horrific uh, is what he, he, it's kind of a cathartic mm -hmm. thing for him to do what he did in movies like uh, Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember him talking about that at like a uh, convention I was at, and he like uh, even said like people uh, would say, "Oh, we need more blood," like in a decapitation, and he was like, uh, "No, really, this is like what it would be like because he's actually seen them." And it was like, he was kind of like, "Wow, that's you know, not everyone's seen an actual decapitation, you know," and, and he's actually yeah. Used I mean, it. I, I can't <laughs> imagine the scars that uh, that Tom has from, you know, that, those experiences. It's, uh, I, it's, you know, it's a horror that none of us would ever want to live through. Right. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't wish that on anyone. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Dawn of the Dead. Uh, for me, that's always the, the, the best zombie movie ever made. Uh, would you agree with that, or what's your favorite zombie movie? You even like zombie movies. No, I love zombie movies. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to say, um, I still am partial to the original Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. I just love that movie. I think it's just, there's something about the creepiness of the original Night of the Living Dead that as great as Dawn of the Dead is, it just lacked it. You know, there was something about that, the way, you know, Night of the original Night of the Living Dead. I, I, as I say, I love Dawn of the Dead, but my preference would be to be, would be Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, trying to think, uh, I don't know if you consider Carnival of Souls to be a zombie movie, mm-hmm. but that's also, again, one of my favorite uh, movies of all time favorite horror mm-hmm. film. Oh, and yeah. I think it is really, you can classify it. Yeah, it could be a ghost movie, you know? Yeah. So, uh, along those lines, uh, I assume you're always a horror movie fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. What were the ones that, you know, you, you watched and like, you were like, you know, this, I would like to make these someday. Um, well, I mean the ones that, I mean, neither living dead, um, uh, I loved uh, Honeymoon Killers uh, and uh, Daughters of Darkness, um, Carnival of Souls. Uh, I'm trying to think of some others. You know, of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. uh, Death Dreams. Um, these are movies that all really uh, made an impact on me, as well as the Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci movies and Mario Bava movies. Uh, you know, the, these all really, uh, really uh, made an impression. Yeah. Uh, were your parents cool with you watching horror movies? <clears throat> um, we never really discussed it. I'm sure they would have preferred I was less interested in horror films because <laughs> I, I would buy. I was a. I was the kind of kid who went to the to the corner store to buy every issue of Famous Monsters. Oh, the hell yeah. came out. Yep, I did. This so thing. I had quite a few uh, famous monster magazines laying around the house. Plus, I had set up in a room in the house. Uh, I had built all those Aurora monster models. Oh, that's and awesome. I, yeah, and I'd set up a shelf in in a in a in a in a, in a room in the house where I had my monster models on display. Yeah, yeah. they might have preferred I chose different things, but. You know they were they were they didn't they didn't share my love of horror. Let me put it to you that way. Okay. Uh, um, did they get to see uh, your uh, Maniac or any of your movies? Oh yeah, they um, they they were. I guess they were proud that I uh, of Maniac because it was a success, mm-hmm. and uh, I was at the time I was twenty five years old. So mm-hmm. uh, and and I had dropped out of high school. And, uh, so they, 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 they didn't have a, a bright, they didn't see a bright future for me. And, uh, so when I had a success like maniac, they were like, Oh, maybe this kid isn't as stupid as we think. <laughs> uh, so uh, what, like, uh, what is your background in, in like, uh, did you go to film school or were you like self-taught? Um, well, my background was, was, was practical. I was, uh, I worked as a production assistant on on many um, New York films, uh, independent films, uh, and a lot of them were adult movies because of you know that period. 
uh, in the early 70s when there was a, a boom uh, following the success of Deep Throat. Everybody wanted to cash in on it, so they were making a lot of 35-millimeter, um, you know, in, uh, theatrically uh, uh, driven adult movies. So, um, yeah, so, uh, and then I was working on, you know, some, you know, some mainstream films, uh, like Across 110th Street, I mentioned Seven Ups, a movie called Crazy Joe, and then I worked in editing, I, I got, I worked as an apprentice, an unpaid apprentice in an editing facility. I, I used to go there and, and work uh, to all hours, I just loved it, I, and I was learning all aspects of editing. And this mm -hmm. was all before I was uh, 20 years old. Yeah. So did you do all the editing on your movies? Um, pretty much. I mean, some, you know, later I, I didn't do, I, I would, I had editors and I'm not going to take away cause I always, I love having an editor. So I have mm -hmm. somebody objective looking at the material, but I would go in and do tweaks and things like that. But I, I can't say I edited them. I did my early films and probably a lot of Maniac I edited in Vigilante. Um, and I did, you know, the adult movies where I edited them. Um, but uh, that's, um, yeah, that, yeah, that was it. Mm -hmm. uh, how about uh, on Maniac, when you do stuff like in the restroom, like uh, is that a real restroom like uh, in the subway? And uh, no. how, how do you get it? How do you get like, oh, it isn't, okay. No, um, that was a restroom at a YMCA on 23rd Street, just near the uh, uh, Harlem R River Drive, uh, near the East Side. Uh, was it the East Side Highway? Mm -hmm. It was not in the subway. All right, but uh, so there was, I assume it was it was after hours. The, we added all the graffiti and stuff. None of that was there. It was clean. Oh, okay. Uh, did you have to get rid of it after? Yes. <laughs> what? What? You wash it off? What's that? Did you have to get rid of the uh, graffiti after you were done? Oh yeah, yeah. But it was easy because it was all. It wasn't paint. It was. It was <laughs> yeah. something that is easily removable. Oh, okay. I don't know it's exactly like a water what the substance thing or something. Yeah, yeah. It was really easy. You just wash down the walls after. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering this up because I was watching the uh, the Cisco Niebuhr specials, and then it it brought me into some other videos of the time and. Uh, you know, they're saying that um, these kind of movies inspired violence against women. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, and you know, how did you take that at the time when people started to say things like that? Well, the truth is, is I, I, what I always looked at is it was a depiction of violence, that it was catch-up, that it wasn't to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I never saw the, the nexus between... Um, people that did actual murders and right. movies like Maniac. I mean, I looked at murderers as being far more complicated, especially uh, that we did a lot of research on serial killers when we, uh, we, when we did Maniac. We found mm -hmm. the common denominator among serial killers was a dysfunctional relationship with their mothers. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't about them... Uh, inhabiting uh, grindhouses, watching horror films. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I just never saw the connection. I, I, I thought it was too simplistic uh, a, a stretch uh, to say, oh, horror is, you know, we could blame horror for, for, for killers. And that's just not the case. It, it was, it's too simplistic. And, it, and um, 
you know, it's it's just not, it just doesn't make any sense, you know? I mean, look, mm-hmm. you, you see a movie like Taxi Driver, where a guy becomes obsessed over, over Jodie uh, Foster. Mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't commit any murders in it. And, you know, it, so people can look at movies and take away whatever it is that, that, that you know, that they find that they were, you know, yeah. attracted think, to or whatever. I mean, yeah. I can see people actually finding, um, you know, uh, I could see people with, a, with, you know, finding things in, in Disney movies that would bother them, you know, that could trigger something. I don't know. People are complicated. They're not simplistic. You know, the, the the human mind isn't a very simple thing to explain. You mm-hmm. can't explain it. You know, yeah. you can't explain. It, you know how 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 people, ordinary people, become Nazis and shove people in in, in ovens. You mm-hmm. know, the people that were Nazis were not inherent inherent monsters, but they're driven to it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to get into politics, but I see a lot of that today. You see people that are that are following people that you'd say, "My God, how can you follow these people?" They're, they're mm-hmm. you know, they they you know, they're, they're dealing with you know, these uh, megalomaniacs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say about the the horror movies. I think uh, if someone's uh, going to do something horrible, they're they're probably going to find like their motivation in, in anything. Uh, Charles Manson was, you know, uh, a lot of stuff was off the Beatles song. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, to to suggest we're going to ban Beatles songs and and we're going to ban horror movies and we're going to ban all, you know, uh, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Do I think horror films should be shown to children? No, I think it's adult entertainment. I think Mm -hmm. you should be at least, you know, uh, 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 you know, over 13 years old, over 15 years old, to be watching horror films. Um, I don't, I, I don't think kids, you know, younger should be, should have a steady diet of horror films. But they're going to see them, the same way they're going to see pornography, and the same way they're going to see, it. you know, it's it's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Um, you know, horror films were shown all over the world. It doesn't, it, you know, the fact that we have the highest concentration of of murders in this country over all other countries, um, you know, you can't point to horror films and video games. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I, uh, you don't really uh, direct anymore. You do produce a, a bunch of uh, films. Uh, when yeah. did you, when did you, uh, you know, go from uh, director to, to producer? And was there any reason? Well, I didn't really make a conscious dis- 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 decision to do that. I mm-hmm. really um, kind of uh, tr- transitioned into um, as I was. I was. A, it was a hobby for me to go out and buy rights to movies and put them out on laserdisc. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, uh, this new format DVD was on the horizon, and mm-hmm. uh, and I started getting involved with it. And it and it grew immediately, and uh, I had a real business in it. And so um, it was never a conscious decision to abandon directing. It was always that I just sort of went with the flow, you know. Yeah. And time moves on. Mm-hmm. 
Would you ever want to uh, go back and, and direct a movie? Oh, sure. It would. I, I, I've thought about it. I've I've looked for material and and with with the hopes of doing it. But you know, the business is a little more complicated today. It wasn't as um, as it was back in the '80s. Uh, you know, it's become concentrated with uh, companies like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Uh, YouTube, uh, it's it's different. You know, there's no place at the table, really, for most independent movies uh, mm-hmm. in the theaters. And uh, you know, it's it's um, you know, if you go out and fortunate enough to raise the money, it becomes a bit of a crapshoot. Yeah. Now you just mentioned about you know uh, getting to the uh, laserdisc and then uh, DVDs and Blu-rays, and but now with all those streaming sites. Has that hurt uh, DVD and Blu-rays? And these, some people say, you know, there will be no physical uh, uh, medium well, at some point. I could tell you, I could tell you from experience that mm-hmm. I find it uh, a weird kind of thing with 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 digital and video. I'll have movies as an example that are modest, if and maybe even call them poor sellers on physical media do very, very well on this, on digital media. And, uh, you know, and then I see some across the board do well, you know, from physical and digital, uh, they, they do well. So I, I, I don't really see, um, an erosion because the business that I'm in in blue underground is creating collector editions of movies, mm-hmm. uh, releasing those kinds of films. And, um, and the collectors still gravitate towards physical media because you can't get all those bonus materials on digital media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Myself, I, I love the specials. I love listening to, to the commentary tracks and yeah. I've had a lot of, uh, you know, independent, uh, you know, current directors on. And a lot of them say that they, uh, who didn't go to film school. So they learned a lot about making movies, listening to commentary tracks. I still listen to commentary tracks and I still learn. Mm-hmm. you have any particular favorites uh, commentary tracks I mean I would say that there were quite a few early um, criterion mm-hmm. uh, cri- uh, tracks that I, I listened to that, that were very good um, you know quite, uh, uh, you know, what was always good was Michael Winner he did great commentaries um, he was really really good uh, and informative I mean it really mm-hmm. depends you know a lot of directors are kind of um i don't know guarded and those are mm-hmm. less interesting but when you get somebody like a mart scorsese someone yeah. who's who really is it likes to teach those are the ones that i really i really love listening to yeah yeah like, like, like uh, goodfellas has like a few commentary tracks uh his is great on it and then also the cop and crook one where it's uh it's it's henry hill and, and the guy who actually caught him uh-huh. who's in the movie and uh, it's, it's just a, I love the movie anyway, but, uh, just something yeah. fun listening to that. Cause you can really tell that the, uh, the FBI guy, like he actually has a lot of fondness for the, uh, for like the, the, um, the mafia guys, like he, even though they're bad guys, but like he, you could tell like he enjoyed them in a way. This was very interesting. Listening to. Well, there, you know, I look at cops and, 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 and gangsters as being two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. They usually grow up in the same neighborhood. You know, it's just one goes one way, the other goes in the other. But really, they 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 fundamentally come from the same place. Mm-hmm. 
No, it's like uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis on commentary because I always think he has the best voice. But <laughs> yeah, no, he's very good. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I listen to his commentaries or not, but yeah, I, I would suggest. I would imagine. It. I, I, yeah, it's uh, just no knock on Herschel Gordon Lewis movies because I, I love him. But after you listen to, to his commentary, you'd think you just watch, you know, uh, The Godfather or, or uh, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. God, this must be the greatest movie ever made. But I, I find it very entertaining. So what did you think of the Maniac uh, remake? Um, I, 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 um, I would say probably um, I, I wish they hadn't done that POV. Uh, mm-hmm. idea. I think it was probably on paper. It was looked as being distinctively different than the original. And, and that's, I think what they wanted to make, put their own stamp on it. But mm-hmm. I kind of felt that when you have a world-class actor like Elijah Wood, I want to see mm-hmm. him and having that POV thing, I think really trapped them stylistically that it kind of hurt. I kind of hurt a little bit. Um, you know, but that's my opinion. I, I could be wrong. Um, and, um, and I also felt taking it out of New York to LA, uh, the problem with LA is even the most, um, uh, you know, the most depressed sections of downtown LA look really good. They don't look depressed. They don't look grimy and they don't look, you know, they don't have that, that, drab look to them versus mm-hmm. New York. You could be in a very expensive neighborhood and, 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 and it has that look to it. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of felt taking it out of New York, uh, was something I, I kind of missed, but overall I think, you know, it's a very, it's very well made and, you know, I think everybody, you know, did their best. And, uh, and as I said, I really like Alex and, um, and uh, and Elijah and I really thought these guys, you know, did a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I liked it overall too. I actually don't like the point of view part either, or uh, just some of the CG stuff. But uh, overall, it was uh, I went in not wanting to like it because I really liked the original movie. But uh, uh, it was you were really surprised. I think it's one of uh, one of the more interesting remakes. Yeah, well, good, good. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, Maniac Cop, you'll feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually, our next guest coming up is uh, Seb Godin, who's, uh, you know, he's only like 20. He's been making movies. And he wanted to let you know that he loves uh, Uncle Sam. Oh, well, thank him for me. Oh, well. And, uh, I love that, too. I, always, name, I, I find it great. Uh, Seb, Seb, his full name is Sebastian, but he goes by Seb. Seb Godin. Okay. okay. Yeah. What film did he make? Uh, he just made uh, Like Canimator, which is about uh, this weird, slimy uh, werewolf. And then he's got coming up next is Slimoids, about little... He likes very slimy monster movies, so... Got it. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll let you get to him. Um, all right. All right, well, thank you. I had a, it, was, it was fun chatting with you guys. Yeah, had a good time. I'm yeah. sorry if any technical problems. It's okay. You'll work out the bugs. Well, hope so. We've been doing it for 13 years. So. Oh, shit. Then, then you really have a lot to apologize for. <laughs> I thought this was like, I thought I was your, your, like, the first of a few shows or something. Yeah, it's like uh, number 415, I think. Yeah. All right, well, 
Okay, you got some work. I to shouldn't do. have said that. Now he's yeah. Now he's just. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, thank you, though. I do appreciate it. All right. Have a good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. From New York City to the streets of L.A. I'm in the squalor and the urban decay. From Aberdeen way down to Camden Town. To the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still Nasty Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm. And uh, returning to the show, who I had a lot of fun with the last time he was here, Seb Godin. It's good to have Welcome you back. back. Hello. Yeah, so last time you were on, you were about to film like Animator. And uh, since then, you've you filmed it and it's out. And uh, so, what was the experience like to go and film your first? feature film uh it was very interesting you know i never thought that i'd be shooting my first long form film in florida and the heat was a real factor while shooting but it was kind of neat the uh, locations we had that we wouldn't have been able to get here so it was a it was a positive experience overall it was a very fast shoot we did the whole movie in about five days so oh, wow yeah hmm. well why did you decide to do it in florida what happened was my producer, Dustin Hubbard, uh, he 
is local to the area and he started pitching me all these people we could have in the movie and I got really excited at the prospect of like Joel D. Winecoop from Truth or Dare or Critical Madness and The O Show. Uh, those kind of people being in it and I realized well it would be so much cheaper to just fly myself over there than to fly them out here. Right. Had you ever been to Florida before? Ah, uh, yeah, as a kid. Like, for vacation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you obviously grew up uh, loving uh, monster movies, and you still love monster movies. So, what was it like to see your actual, your, the, like, animator, your monster, uh, when it was finished and ready to be filmed? You know, when I first saw the suit, I got pretty giddy over it. But uh, when it was actually on set with the actor in it and it was moving and all that, you know, it was kind of neat. I was like, it, it made me feel like uh it gave me the feeling i always thought i would have with that kind of situation of having my own monster Mm -hmm. Uh, how hands-on were you in in creating the suit Uh, i wasn't hands-on in the slightest i just came i wrote the script i went to my friend toby johansson and he drew up some concept art based on my ideas from the script and then from there on i just trusted him with the suit because toby Believe it or not, loves monsters just about as much as I do. So I knew mm-hmm. it was good hands. Yeah. Uh, is it a weird mix to have? Because uh, uh, slimy and hairy. Because I would think it, it would uh, just become a big mess. It's very matted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it looks really good. I thought that, like, well, you know, a werewolf doesn't inherently have to be hairy. I think a good example is Ginger Snaps, where it's, like, just human skin, but it's got a wolf shape. Uh, so the idea of it in the script was that it was basically just a melted human skeleton that took on the shape of a wolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> so who worked with you? I'm sorry on the uh, making the, um, the the mask and the suit. The creature suit was done by my friend Toby Johansson, who ultimately ended yeah. up playing the monster. And he's done his own movies. He did uh, Hacksaw and uh, Backyard Vampire. Mm-hmm. So what's his background in, in uh, making uh, monster suits? He's always he, Did he ever do one before? Yeah, he did the effects for all of his own movies. And, uh, I mean, he did some others. He did a tentacle for Slimeoids as well. He's, it's just kind of something he's always been doing as long as I've known him. He's been mm-hmm. owning his craft and trying to perfect it. He's pretty good, honestly. I really like his work. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I've only seen the – I haven't seen the actual movie yet. I've seen the uh, – uh, the stills, and I've seen the the trailer, and and from what I've seen, I really like, and I also really like the lighting. I always think, um, for uh, low budget movies, if you have interesting lighting, it, it adds a lot to the movie. You know, like the greens and the purples. Absolutely. Well, you know, so many people, when it comes to micro budget horror, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the cheap look comes from the fact that people just don't have any interest in lighting it properly or even moving the camera. Sometimes they're just very static with everything. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, I'm a big fan of the Italian horror. I love Dario Argento, Lucio Fulci and stuff like that. And I wanted like bold blues and reds and greens because I kind of just wanted to have a very bold color palette to make up for the lack of uh, production value. Yeah. So you shot in five days. Then how long after that did it take you to edit it and, you know, make it into a movie? Post-production was interesting. Uh, so. I'm not going to name names, but we had an editor who worked on it for about six months and delivered a 30 to 40 minute assembly run cut that he sent to us. And I hated it. I really disliked it. So ultimately, I took the film and I 
So I'm not going to name names, but we uh, had an editor who worked on the movie for about six months and eventually delivered about a 40-minute assembly cut, which I hated. I, it, the tone was all wrong. I didn't like the music used. I didn't like anything about it. So I took the film from him, and I edited my own cut. Uh, ultimately, uh, issues led to me not being able to finish it on my own. So we got Travis Campbell, who Dustin Hubbard had previously worked with. Uh, Travis Campbell edited Return to Newcomb High for Trauma and a couple other movies. Oh, nice. So we got him, and he turned it into what it is now. And he honestly, he honestly did a great job with it. Without even having that much communication with him beforehand, he completely understood what we were going for. Mm-hmm. So, how long is the movie? The movie is, you know, that's that's a good question because when it's screened, we've had one screening so far. There were mm-hmm. scenes that were missing from the cut on account of the fact that they had green screen that needed touching up, and I didn't feel comfortable keeping them in there. So, if you want to guess, it's a short feature. I'm guessing it's somewhere in the range of about sixty minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that works. So have you have you finished the uh, have you finished all that the green screen and everything? Everything's touched up, and uh, we're actually in talks with a distributor at the moment. Oh, very cool. So how how did the uh, screen go? That was was that at uh, Shockstock? Yeah, that was at Shockstock in London, Ontario. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was just going. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was say, how did that go? Uh, you're watching the movie with an audience. I was terrified. I almost wanted to <laughs> run. I wanted to run, yeah. vomit, and hide. Uh, I was nervous of how they were going to take it, especially in the shape it was in. And then I sat down, and there were so many people that were in attendance that I knew, like Greg Lamberson, Paul mm-hmm. McGinnis, a bunch of people there. Brink Stevens was there. And, uh, oh, boy, it came up, and it started, and I just had this huge knot in my stomach. And then... People started to have fun with it. People started to like applaud at the gross scenes and laugh at the over-the-top crazy scenes and cheering when Joel comes in at the end to fight the monster. It was like people were reacting to my movie. <laughs> That's I, excellent. I got I got pretty uh, emotional over that. Yeah, That's pretty awesome though. So uh, you know, I know you you're uh, a fan of Gregory Lamberson's movies, and then you guys like. You know, become friends and everything. So, did he give you up uh, pointers on the movie? Give you advice? You know, after he saw it. Uh, <laughs> the only thing he said is that you could have given me one look at that script, and I would be able to tell you that it wasn't going to reach a seventy-minute length. But he liked <laughs> it. He uh, he applauded. Uh, he said the performances were good, which made me happy. At least I know mm-hmm. apparently know how to direct an actor. <laughs> So were your goals to make it uh, make it longer? Uh, no, 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 no. I don't think a movie like this needs to be long. I think 60 to 75 minutes is the longest that a micro-budget movie could be. Yeah, I agree with that because a lot of times I watch a movie that I do like, but you can tell like it's been padded out just to make it 90 minutes or something. And it would be like, hey, this, this is fun and stuff, but it, I would have liked it better if it just ended, you know, sooner. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't believe that a movie should be any longer than it needs to be yeah yeah exactly or a short or shorter than it needs to be whatever you need to tell the story you know works yeah so and the poster is awesome i don't know who did the poster art yeah i love that poster too 
poster was done by a very good artist in Belgium named Stefan Motmans. He did the poster for my friend Rob's movie, Slime. And uh, I saw that and I loved it. So I contacted him and I was, I was pretty impressed. I love that poster too. Yeah. That's pretty wild now that you could like uh, see a movie in Canada, you know, and you make, you make it in Florida, then you've got someone in Belgium doing the, doing the poster art. And you know, it's, have, it's, it's a weird world we live in. We have a horror star from Italy doing voiceovers for it. It's <laughs> very all over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So, um, for distribution, uh, do you plan on what kind of specials do you plan on the, you know, uh, for the, the Blu-ray or, or DVD? Uh, you mean special features? Yeah. Well, I'd love to do a commentary. I've always wanted to do a, like, sit down and do a director's commentary because I love listening to those. Believe Thank it or not, you. there's like at least eight hours worth of behind the scenes footage that we oh, can wow. maybe do something with. I don't know if there's so much of it to go through. Right, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I I asked this to, to William. Uh, do you have any particular favorite commentary tracks? You know, I hate Chud, but it's got one of the best commentaries I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm just, a fan of Chud. It's it's a it's a very polarizing movie. It's uh the commentary is just John Hurd, Christopher Curry, and Daniel yes. Spector chirping the film the whole time. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, yeah, they I did. Re- oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I would say, yeah, it was yeah. I love that commentary, and you could tell like uh, a couple of them are, are still mad about like uh, you know how the movie has changed, and the, you know and, uh, I, I like that. But you get so they so passionate about the movie, especially you know because uh, the original movie they weren't like uh, you know monsters and stuff like that, and uh, I don't know. It's a, it, it really is an enjoyable uh, commentary. Another commentary I really love is a. Uh fascinating one and i'll get into why in a moment it's from the italian movie fatal frames with donald pleasance and david warbeck and in that commentary it's the director the lead actress and a moderator and it sounds like they're sitting in a cave their voices echo through the whole commentary track and the movie's been muted but for some reason there's a score to the audio commentary there's music playing as they speak very That is. I'm just picturing someone sitting down and like uh, I'm going to score this commentary track. Yeah, that'd be tremendous. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah. Uh, speaking of score, who did you get to? Uh, what kind of music? What kind of scores in like Animator? Uh, the score is by my good friend Dakota Drobnicki, who does amazing work. He very much like me loves Italian horror and uh, you know that kind of that that general era and style of the genre film. Mm-hmm. And he really, uh, I don't know how to describe it. His scores aren't like any other micro-budget scoring I can think of. They're very poppy and unique. I love them. And people seem to react well to them, too. Yeah. So uh, all these people, that, were they people like, uh, you said friends of yours. Did you meet them online? Yeah, like through high school, it was like a good percentage of my friends were all online friends. Most of my mm-hmm. friends didn't really meet in person until I was 18 or 19. So I, mm-hmm. the thing is I spent those formative years, I spent like the age of 13 to 21 years old, I spent making connections and building up a repertoire of people I could turn to for when I needed to make something. Hmm. That's really cool. And it's cool, you know, for everyone involved and uh, everyone has their own special, uh, you know, talent and to get together and make something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So uh, tell us about Slimoids. So Slimoids came out of the fact that I knew that when I got back to Canada, I had to start working on something or else I was going to go crazy. So I uh, got to work on thinking of an idea. And Dustin and I both love little creature movies. Uh, both of us, one of our favorite movies is Ghoulies 2. So I wanted to make basically a Gremlins knockoff kind of like that. Yeah. So I came up with the idea. And then Kate Phoenix, who was the female lead in Like Animator, came up with the title Slimoids. And I loved it. So I made it a whole... It always starts with the uh, title when I'm thinking of what the monster is going to be like. So then I went to Dustin Mills. He drew concept arts and started building the puppets while I was writing the script. And uh, that's basically where it started. It's very different from what I originally intended it to be. It's a much darker movie in a weird way. Oh, because you're just seeing the, uh, the visuals, like the, the hand-drawn stuff, and then like uh, the puppets, I would assume it's very, you know, fu- fun. And yeah. um, I don't picture it a dark movie. Yeah, exactly. That's the weird thing. And it's been like, I've been watching the footage and, Whenever the creatures are on screen, it's goofy, it's silly, it's what you'd expect, but the, they're almost like cartoons invading a serious horror movie. Everything around them is grim and dire, but they're very goofy. <laughs> uh, so so uh, how hands-on are you in designing the Slimoids? Because uh, they're pretty awesome. I told Dustin Mills that I wanted them to look like little lumps of living flesh, and that was all. They had to look like they originally came from people, because... That's basically what they are. And uh-huh. beyond that, nothing. He gave me the drawings, and I loved them, and I asked him if he could make the puppets, and that was that, really. I was much more hands-on with the design of the lead oh, well, human, the lead humanoid villain. I was more hands-on with the design of the mad scientist who creates them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the hand-drawn of her, too. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, she's great. Uh, it was cool because we kind of did the Darth Vader thing with her because she's physically played by one actress, but she's voiced by Brink Stevens. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It was, it was pretty fun to work with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did she get involved? Uh, Dustin represents Brink sometimes and has gotten her work in the past, so he put me in touch with her. And uh, oh, she okay. was shock stock with Joe Castro for their movie Personal Demons. And uh, we just recorded it in the hotel room all of her lines. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Uh, so it's a uh, puppet. It almost kind of looks like it could be a uh, stop motion. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's no stop motion. They're just basically very elaborate hand puppets. I think that we're going to do some stuff in post digitally to make the mouths a little bit more uh, emotive, make them move a bit more. But really, they're pretty simplistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, do you still have them? Oh, absolutely. I'm never getting getting rid of them. (laughs) I wouldn't either, I'd have to say. Uh, Do you have a a favorite? I kind of like the the one with the three eyes. I like that one. I think my favorite's the hand, though. Yeah, that's pretty sweet, too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually just sitting here looking through them, because I think they're awesome. Thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. I'm very looking. I'm much looking forward to that because I myself also love. There's something cool about. Uh, I think it's because I always had toys as a kid, and so any movie where there's like little monsters, there's just something uh, I'm drawn to them. Oh, like little creature shenanigans. Nothing makes me laugh harder than little creature shenanigans. Like just little <laughs> monsters doing stupid shit. That makes me so happy. 
Yeah, that, uh-huh. it does me too. Like, I just smile when that happens. I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. When I was a little, yeah. when I was a little kid, I always rewound the bar sequence from Gremlins over and over. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are so what are some of your favorite? Well, obviously, Gremlins, and um, and you mentioned Ghoulies too. So, what are some of your favorite little monster movies? Uh, man, Gremlins Two is a perfect movie. Gremlins 2 is really high up there. Critters 2, man, it's always number two. It's always the second one. That's the best one. Um, you know, Hobgoblins isn't a good movie, but it's always kind of making you laugh. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was some other ones. I like a lot of the Full Moon stuff. Like, if you want to count Killer Doll movies, too, I love the Puppet Master movies. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I think that the, my favorites are the are the two Gremlins movies and Ghoulies 2. And Ghoulies 3, actually. That's not bad, either. That was a, just a very different kind of movie than the second one is. Mm-hmm. Is that the one where they go to school? Yeah. Ghoulies go to college. See, I've not, I've not seen this one. Uh, someone mentioned it on my Facebook when I had the thing up there to choose between these two movies. And someone mentioned that, and I was like, is that a real movie? I'd Ghoulies go to college? And they're like, oh, yeah. And they said, that I've never seen this movie. My kind of history of that movie is that when I was little, my mother brought me to this flea market, and I found Ghoulies 2, Ghoulies 3, and Ghoulies 4 on VHS, and she bought them for me because she knew that Ghoulies 2 had been more or less fairly kid-friendly, and I put in Ghoulies 3 when I got home, and there's so much nudity in that movie. I think that was the first movie where I saw so many, so much nudity. <laughs> Pretty shocked. I, I, yeah. Uh, is there any nudity in Slimeoids? Oh, no. No. No, 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 no. Uh, there's a lot of nudity <laughs> in Animator, and I didn't want any nudity in Slime Wars. I want, because Slime Wars, despite what I said earlier about it being grim and dark, I do want it to be something children could watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the next Seb Godins can watch it. The upcoming Seb Godins. Oh, God, I hope there's not more. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, would you ever... Uh, I could see those as, uh, as little toys too. I don't know. Maybe we're getting too ahead of myself, but uh, it would be cool if you could have eventually have some merchandise and have some little uh, slimeoids figures. I'd love to do little figurines. As far as merchandising goes, much like like Animator, there will be a novelization of this one. So, oh wow! I think that'll be out. Maybe the we're aiming for a Halloween release for the movie, so I think the book will be out maybe around September. Oh, nice. Who did the Who did the novelizations? Uh, Indy McDaniel. He's a very good author. You should check out his stuff, Black Melt, which is like an erotic fungi horror story. I really like that one. And uh, he just had a book come out, and I can't remember what it was called. But he does good stuff, and I recommend anybody check it out. Yeah. So how far along are you with Slimeoids? I think that we have... Two days left to shoot on it. And uh, we have two days left to shoot on it. And I want to do one quick scene while I'm in Florida in August. And then it'll be finished. Beyond that, uh, editing shouldn't take too long. It's not an overly complicated movie to edit, really. Not like like Animator, where it <laughs> required so much fixing up in post because I was stupid. Uh, this one will be done a lot quicker. I think that we're really... I'm getting better at giving a decent turnaround rate, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What were some, what were some, you said, uh, you, cause you're stupid, but uh, what were some of the things uh, when you were uh, making like animator 
that you didn't foresee, you know, that, that would might have been harder than you thought would be to, to direct the movie. Uh, you mean during production or during editing? Uh, either way, because uh, what, what were the problems why you were filming that made it hard to, to edit? So the house we were shooting in was this dilapidated old place in the middle of nowhere where there had been, I think, like three or four people had been killed in it. And it was just abandoned for the most part. There was black mold growing all over it. Uh, and mm-hmm. half our cast thought that the place was haunted. So there was one day where at least three people said they saw something and refused to go in there and refused to work. So the fucking day was canceled. So that was probably the most difficult day. But beyond that, there weren't any real problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did have... Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I think beyond that, that was the only real issue with it. Everyone else was pretty, everything else was pretty relaxed. It was a very fun shoot. I guess, I guess if anything, it was just that one day. Because when you have such a short shooting schedule, uh, one bad day can seem like a big chunk of the production. But it it doesn't Mm -hmm. bother me now. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, how is Slimeways going to go for about the same uh, length? Slimeways will be probably probably going to be longer. Okay. Yeah, because it's uh, whereas like Animator, the movie hinges on the creature being the villain. Like the Slimeways focuses them more as like they're either bad creatures, but like all little creatures, you kind of have to love them. So there's a lot of stuff with just them that I think really adds to the runtime in a proper way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I heard you also have a mummy movie in the works. Yes, we have not uh, announced it, but I wanted to talk about it here. So we were planning to shoot a movie in August. Things got uh, bigger than expected, and we wanted to postpone it to spend more time in pre-production. And in the meantime, we thought, well, we better still shoot something. Dustin and I both wanted to do a mummy movie really badly. So unbeknownst to me, Dustin had written a script called The Mummy Massacre, which he sent to me. And it was not at all what I expected. And I loved it. And I said, this is what we're shooting this summer. So, well, well you said it's not what you expected. So uh, I don't know if you how much you want to give away, but uh, what kind of movie is it? Obviously, it's a mummy movie, but uh, how is it different than you expected? Because it's also a possession film and a splatter movie. And there's a little bit of martial arts. Oh, it's got everything going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, Is the martial arts involving the mummy? Uh, Sorry? Is the martial arts involving the mummy? So is the mummy, is it like a kung fu mummy or is there a martial artist who are uh, fighting the mummy, I guess. I'm not going to spoil it, but let's just all right, all right. that Joel D. Winecoop's in it, and Joel loves to fight things. So we kind of incorporated it into the script this time. Because in like Animator, he has a fight with a monster that wasn't in the script. So I thought, well, we might as well just work it in this time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was going to ask that. was like, do you know people who are martial artists? You know, Joel, uh, you know, Joel says he is. <laughs> if you watch any of his older movies, he does do some decent fighting, but he's, uh-huh. and he still kind of does, kind of. Uh, so I'm going to say sort of as my answer. Uh-huh. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I know you have a. How big of a role do you have in like animator? Is it just like a cameo or? I uh, yeah, it's very brief. I'm a lab assistant in the flashback that tells the backstory. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you have do you have a cameo in Slimeoids too? Uh, I might be doing one of the creature vocals. So hmm. that'll be that'll, it. That would work. Yeah. Yeah. And how about the mommy movie? Any plans uh, to be in it? Uh, maybe. I kind of like the only time I'd really put myself in a bigger role now is that the fact of the matter is I know I'll be on set on time every day. So maybe the mummy movie only has about six or seven characters. So we'll see. Yeah. You're a busy man. You get the, you know, I think it was like two years we had you on and you have the uh, one, one movie finished one in the works. So then one, you know, uh, coming out, you know, in, in the future. So is this, uh, I assume you're just going to, is this something you want to stick to? Absolutely. This is what, I, this is what I've been working towards. It's, uh, I want to be doing two movies a year for the foreseeable future. Wow. That's, that's very, uh, I want to be, uh, I guess, I guess like it's going to sound pretty arrogant, I guess, but like the Takashi Nike of micro budget. Horror. <laughs> well, I think you, uh, I think you have to have, co- I think you have to have confidence in yourself. To, yeah. to make it in you know in any in anything, you know maybe not necessarily ego. It's a different word, but I think uh, you have to have confidence in yourself. Yeah, there is a big difference between confidence and ego, and mm-hmm. sometimes people forget that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, when you were at when you were at Shockstock, uh, did you watch some of the other movies? Was there anything else that, that people should uh, not necessarily your movie, but that people should be uh, on the outlook for? I saw Brink Stevens's short film personal demons it's a directorial debut and i liked it a lot i think that people will probably get a kick out of that one uh beyond that i saw bone hill road the todd sheets werewolf movie for the second time and that's a brilliant movie i think wild eyes putting that out in october and everybody should check that one out i've been yeah i've been wanting to see that myself because it's you know it's all um practical effects i believe oh yeah uh, that Man, when I saw Todd's werewolf suits in that movie, I was like, oh, man, there's some really tough competition going on now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, so you have uh, werewolf, mummy, uh, any other uh, classic monster you'd like to make? I'd like to do all of them. Like Frankenstein's my favorite book. I'd love to do an adaptation of Frankenstein someday. Uh, mm-hmm. a Dracula movie. I'd like to do another werewolf movie, something more traditional someday uh for the most part i'm just trying to stick to my own things though i'm trying to establish kind of a uh, like a library of my own characters before i start taking other people's Mm -hmm. so where could people uh follow like like animator seb godin slimeboids and uh, uh everything you're doing well, you can find Like Animator on Facebook, of course, or you can follow the Melting Man Films Facebook page. Same with Slimeoids. As for me, I uh, I don't do a lot of social media. I'm on Facebook all the time, though. That's the only piece of social media I have. So if anybody wants to contact me, that's the way to do it. And by the way, I love the Melting Man's. Uh, I, love, I love just the name anyway, Melting Man Films. That's a big fan of the Melting Man. Incredible Melting Man. But the, uh, and the, and the logo, I think, is very cute and adorable. And girls at the same time. I, I like it. That's uh, Cody Lee Harden who does some 
like, oh man, if you look at his other artwork, it's not pretty adorable. It's pretty, like, pretty mean spirited humor. But he did a great job with that logo, and I love it. Yeah, is that one of your favorite movies, The Melting Man? Incredible Melting Man. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I, that, <laughs> I think that it's like the epitome of what a drive-in movie should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's when I first saw that movie was the drive-in. <laughs> it's a couple years ago at uh, when they did the whatever they do it every year. Um, a twelve-hour horror movie marathon at the uh, at the Coolidge. It's from midnight to noon on Halloween night, and uh, they tell you like the two headliners, and then the other ones are all surprises. And uh, one of them was a uh, was a Incredible Melting Man, and like I hadn't seen it in, year, in for years, and it was uh, I had so much fun watching it on the big screen, and uh, like the the effects are amazing in it, and uh, and just called him Steve the whole movie. I just get a, a kick out of everyone's just yelling Steve as they walk around. And then uh, the very end, when they're not to spoil the Incredible Melting Man for anyone who's not seen it, but when like the the, like, the janitor guys just like <laughs> cleaning them up and throwing them in the trash can, I'm just like, <laughs> it's just awesome. Everything about it's pretty amazing. That's one of the best movie endings, I think. I think I it's, agree. Like, it's so weirdly pathetic for the monster at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these these base. And the movie really doesn't make much sense, like why he just starts eating people or anything, but you don't need a reason. It's just, it's just you know, good. He has to. If he didn't eat people, there wouldn't be a movie. I mean, if, very he, true. if he just laid in the hospital bed and melted, all it would be is like a game. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Or if you just watch your unmelting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had the old uh, Troy. Remember the old? Um, I don't know if you know Troy's my older brother, but I had the uh, the real old mask where you know, like uh, like the plastic ones that have the uh, the elastics that go in the back. I know oh, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember having the milk. I don't know what ever happened to those. I used to collect them and had them in a big wicker basket. I think it's amazing that that movie was made in a time where a relatively low budget movie could still have merchandise like that made and oh, mass, yeah. mass distributed. Yeah. yeah, very true. And I know uh, just the last few years, someone made uh, 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 candles, which I thought was very, it was very cool to make. Very clever. The incredible melting man candles. I have to get one of those. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you, you couldn't melt it though. I like part of you'd want to melt it just to watch it, but I'd buy two. Of them. Or maybe you get, yeah, two. get two. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. And just film the one as it melts and then speed it up. That'd be a good video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had actually mentioned when we were talking about um, about commentary tracks, and uh, a lot of people I found on the show said that you know they learned a lot from listening to the commentary tracks. Uh, are you the same? Did you learn anything about you know actually making movies from the commentary tracks? Did I learn a lot about making them? Maybe, but what I definitely learned about them was I learned how to, what kind of attitude to have going into making a movie and how to deal with people while making one as well. So I think those are like two very important lessons that I took away from listening to commentaries. Yeah. Just how to be a good human being, pretty much. I mean, that's, it should be common sense, but a lot of people just don't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when we mentioned merchandise, do you have any favorite uh, horror movie merchandise of your own? Uh, of my own, like a 
of my own stuff because of my own stuff there's nothing really but like no stuff. no just just go you know, stuff you've collected yeah man like i got uh the todd mcfarlane monsters i got like the frankenstein dracula and mummy pack i've got a ton of godzilla figures almost almost too many I've got a uh, London After Midnight figure that I love. I've got the Bela Lugosi Dracula poster, which is be- pretty beautiful, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, not too much. I, I collect more movies than I do memorabilia. Yeah. Yeah, I notice that about you on Facebook. You're always uh, uh, posting, and I was like, man, I sometimes uh, it's a movie like, hey, I love that movie, or it's like, man, I don't even, I've never even heard of that one. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, how, how many movies do you have? Jesus Christ. Um, maybe like, I, I'm not even too sure. The last time I did a count was like two years ago, maybe like in the ballpark of 300 ish, maybe a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any like current recommendations for something that, uh, uh, like a recent movie that people might not know about like a hidden gem, uh, of newer stuff or just in general, uh, newer stuff, but uh, even in general school. Uh, and like in terms of newer stuff, like I said, Bonehill Road is something people should check out. Uh, Todd's movie before that, Dreaming Purple Neon, is another one people should check out. It's a great satanic cult movie with a lot of gore, a lot of gore, and a lot of cool neon imagery. Um, beyond that, I know that Greg has Johnny Gruesome coming out soon, which I worked on. So when that's out, people should definitely check it out. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure what I've seen recently. Oh, Joe Meredith, he did a great short film called South Mills District, which has amazing creature effects that I think people who like the thing would probably enjoy. Oh, that yeah. sounds very cool. Yeah, uh, beyond that, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of new stuff lately. It's been a lot of rewatching things. Mm-hmm. What, um, what did you do on Greg's movie, on Johnny Gruesome? I was the behind-the-scenes documenter, and I also played a, a student in several of the high school scenes in the background. Oh, yeah. Have you have you seen any of uh, the movie, or are you waiting until it's finished? I mean, I've seen as much as most people have seen. I've seen the trailer, and I've seen the stills and the poster and whatnot. And I think it. Yeah. I mean, it's the movie that I thought it would be based on what I saw while I was on set, which isn't a bad thing. I think it looks really good, and I think that people who are either fans of Greg or just fans of the novel that's based on will get a kick out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to myself. <clears throat> so, uh, Colleen, you said, is uh, when uh, when the movie's coming out. Slimeweeds will be getting some form of a release come Halloween, yeah. All right. And uh, how can people get Like Animator? So with Like Animator, that's again that's in the hands of the distributor at this point. Uh-huh. Whenever, whenever we get all the paperwork signed up and all that settled, it'll be up to them to release it, I guess. All right. All right. And I hope uh, who's putting it out? I don't know if you can you say or not. Yeah, I know. Like, there's uh, there's just no date set in mind just yet. So far, it's mm-hmm. just a lot of. You know, I think we've had about two people come to us wanting the movie, and it's just been a case of trying to figure out what the better option is at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, very cool. I'm looking forward to seeing your movies. I talk to you, and I, I like you. And Gosh, we have uh, some stuff we disagree with, but uh, but overall, I think we both love you know crazy horror movies, and uh, so I'm looking forward to to see what you make. 
yeah. I like you too, Neil. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, you know what? We'll have you back on here when uh, when the movie comes out and we yeah, get to see absolutely. it. I'll oh, make yeah. a right. screener copy of it. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's something I, I've been talking about wanting to do here. We never have actually done it, but we want to do uh, some guest hosting. And I think you'd be perfect if we did like a whole show based around uh, monster movies. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, I'd love that. Like, say it. My, when I'm not doing movie stuff at this point, I'm pretty free. So just let me know. All right. We'll set it up at some point. Sounds good. Sounds right. good. Seb, I really appreciate you coming back on the show. Well, I appreciate you having me back. Yeah, very good. And I'm glad you met Troy now. I, I don't think you met Maybe you did. No, no, know. we didn't. I, I think right. I would ram- remember him. Yeah, oh, very good. Well, it's a pleasure to meet right. Well, thanks. Yeah, very nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, sorry, anyone, for technical difficulties earlier. Now it actually seems like maybe everything's going smoothly. But, uh, <laughs> no. So we'll, we'll be back up.
right, we're back here once again with Without Your Head. Well, it's good to be back. It is. And a big thanks to uh, us. a very fun night here. Uh, William Lustig on. Mm-hmm. I was very excited to have on. And Seb Godin returned, who I was also very excited to have on. Yep. That was a win-win. Yeah. It was very fun. And uh, coming up, then, we are going to also have the... Uh, the writers and the directors and stars of the endless. So we're going to uh, close out the show with that. Oh, very nice. Right. But right now, Troy and I, we're going to talk about some, some horror, the world of horror. The horror now. Exactly. And a uh, big thanks to Mr. Chris Kane, who's uh, been our newsman. He's compiling us some news so we can sit here and then banter about it. Very nice. Always good to have stuff that, like, you know, just yak about. Yeah, so he's got a list here of um, horror movies coming to Netflix. Ooh, always so, looking forward to that. Yeah, so in July, July 1st, which is right around the corner, we have an interview with the vampire. Ooh. Netflix. Nice. I haven't seen that for a long time. I always thought that was, uh, that's always been one of my favorite vampire movies, and some people... Say it's like that ushered in like that uh, romantic vampire stuff, but uh, I don't really I, I see that. It's uh, much different than uh, than like uh, all oh, the Twilight and all that nonsense. Than, uh, yeah, I, I think I just because it. the vampires are kind of sexy in like Anne Rice's books yeah. doesn't mean that it's like the romantic. You know, no, it's still a horror movie. Yeah, I'm in love with a vampire nonsense that came later. Yeah, they're they're not sparkling. No, and there's some real horrific stuff in there. Just stuff like the uh, like a you know small child becoming a vampire and she's that size forever. Oh yeah, uh, when she's locked, you know, and you feel for her when she's locked in, and they're going to put her in the sun, or just casing her, you know, burying her basically alive. Oh, yeah, and poor Louis during, you know, all that jazz, too. Yeah. You know, I he's trapped that away that... while they're burning her. Yeah. I hope that, that uh, it does come to fruition, the interview with the vampire. Well, not interview with the vampire, but uh, the TV show they've been talking about forever, the HBO show, where it's going to be, you know, each season will be like one of the books. Yeah, I think that'd be so great, uh, you know, because the as much as I love interview, like the book is, is really great too. And, but I think, uh, the vampire Lestat might be my favorite of the series. The second book. Mm-hmm. So interview is the first book. Yeah. It's, it's the first Anne Rice book. And mm-hmm. then, um, the vampire Lestat comes after that. And then whatever that abortion of a movie that they made, <laughs> the second uh-huh. one, just so pathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, some people really like that now. It's very strange. It's become like kind of a cult movie. Huh? I don't know why. Yeah. I only watched it so, once. Uh, I never went back to it. Yeah, me neither. So uh, they're also putting up all the Jurassic Park movies. Well, the original ones: Jurassic Park, Lost World, and Jurassic Park Three. Oh, sweet! Which I assume because the new Jurassic Park's coming out. You know, I really disliked the last Jurassic World movie, yep. but. It seems it's just I don't know I guess I just have to see every every Jurassic Park movie when it comes out. Oh, there's something there's a, about like well-made dinosaurs on the big screen 
that oh, just yeah. gets you geeked no matter what. Yeah, yeah, I can't deny. But honestly, when I saw the first Jurassic Park, that really was like an awe-inspiring movie. Like you sat oh, there because it's the you know, like, holy shit, this is the dinosaur movie that you always wanted to see as a kid. <laughs> oh yeah, yep, that's so true. You know, as much as you loved like the um, you know the stop motion dinosaurs and all oh, that stuff, yeah. but it, just mm-hmm. to see like what would be you know an actual you know brontosaurus walking by, you know, and just mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, and that's a movie that's you know you, you can watch as a kid, but it's not kiddish. It's you know it's right. uh, actually which, it's pretty goddamn like spooky. I agree. You know, look at it. Now. Yeah, it's like dinosaurs eating people. <laughs> see, oh, the big yeah. eyes and stuff. <laughs> yep. Uh, Pandora, which I'm not familiar with. Here's uh, the quote about it: A pair of crew members aboard a spaceship wake up with no knowledge of their mission or their identities. That's pretty vague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that's a new movie or an older one. I'm not sure. Uh, Scooby Doo movies, which I'm not oh. <laughs> excited about. Uh, the Voices. I'm not What's sure about that. that. Uh, a likable guy pursues his office crush with the help of his evil talking pets. Ooh, but that might be interesting. Sinister. Yeah, I like the sound of that one. Yeah. Well, if you have and... evil talking pets, well, of course things are going to turn sinister. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. It's like uh, the killer. Right. right. Uh, Van Helsing as well. Ooh, that's a movie. <laughs> yeah. Remember when it came out? It was like they were, you know, they were going to make the Frankenstein into his own show. And it oh, yeah. Stunk. <laughs> yeah. Just really sad. <laughs> July 7th, Scream 4. That's weird that they just put Scream 4, unless the other screams are up there. Yeah, maybe they already do have them there. I'm not sure. Screen uh, four. I don't even know if I ever got that far. Yeah, it's not very. I honestly think the screen movies kind of go in order. Like the first one's good, the second yep. one, there, eh, third one's not so good, and the fourth <laughs> one's pretty bad. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. How it ends, which is a Netflix original film, uh, as a mysterious. Apocalypse causes the spread of misinformation and violence. A man and his estranged father-in-law race across a chaotic and fractured country to save his pregnant wife. Nice. Interesting. I do have a soft spot for uh, post-apocalyptic films. I like them. Yep. Well, usually they're usually pretty good. Yeah. And I, I like depressing stuff. So depressing uh, stuff uh, makes yeah. you makes you feel better about things, you know. It does. It, it does. Like, hey, I wasn't bitten by a zombie and got to get my daughter exactly. across the, you know, hand her off to somebody else. <laughs> Just walk away. <laughs> right. That was a good movie, by the way. I don't know if we talked about that. Cargo. I thought that was excellent. I thought so too. I. I think, um, oh, who's the guy in that? The guy that Bilbo Baggins, Bilbo Baggins, and yeah, <laughs> and Watson and stuff. Yeah, I, I, the really like mm-hmm. I really like him a lot. I think he's. I do too. He's, he's very likable, yeah. and he's a good actor. Yep, and he's very, very nad. He's like a, a common man. Looks like yeah. a real person. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a really good movie. I, I mean. 
I know they make a lot of zombie stuff, but uh, I, I still like zombie movies, especially when it's uh, something, uh, an original take on it. Right. When they start doing things like that, you know, I, I love that stuff because it, it proves you don't have to just do the same movie over and over and over again. Yeah. Let's see, uh, Dark Tourist, also a Netflix original movie Ooh. from a new from a nuclear lake to a haunted forest, journalist David Ferrier visits unusual and often macabre tourism spots around the world. Oh, <laughs> that okay. sounds interesting. So it's like real places a guy's going. Yeah, I don't know if it's a if it's a if it is real places or if it's a if you know I don't know if it's a nonfiction or. A, Oh yeah, you're right. It could be just yeah. you know that's think, the premise. I think of you're the show. right though. Yeah, I think you're right though. I think you're right. It says Netflix original, not Netflix film. So I think it oh, is a okay. show. That could be interesting. Then. Yeah, that'll probably be fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Netflix original film Extinction, plagued oh. by dreams of an alien invasion, a family must face its worst nightmare when an extraterrestrial force begins exterminating Earth's inhabitants. That's not fun. No. I have to say, as I said earlier, I usually like post-apocalyptic movies. Uh, alien invasion movies, not so much. There's ones that I like, but overall, I think most of them I'm not too fond of. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty well, much I the same with you really, on that now. But then I'm thinking, like, see, some stuff I don't consider an alien invasion movie, like, like the thing. Though I guess it really oh, is. Oh yeah. So I guess it depends. But a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, I guess it's it could go either way. I guess. Yeah, I because I was thinking myself, like, besides, you know, the original old War of the Worlds is really not a lot of yeah. alien invasion. Yeah, movies. yeah. See, that's what I'm of. thinking too. But then I'm thinking, like, kind of. Where you, I might, like I said, I don't consider the thing, even though it really is an alien invasion movie and, or like, um, body snatchers. Oh yeah. Body snatchers really is. So, yeah. And I love almost every version of it. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking more just like the straight up, just like aliens coming in, like in a yeah. spaceship and attacking. And I usually, yeah. usually don't like that kind of stuff. No, me either. I mean, like Mars attacks is a fun movie to watch, but. It's yeah. not particularly good. No, it really is just about the the aliens looking at them, and because the movie itself's not very good. None of the the human actors are very good in the movie, <laughs> right? Or not, not that they're very good. I don't think they're written very well. Right, right. But it does have Jim uh, Brown in it. It does, and Jack Nicholson. Damn right. He was paid like you know. And I say like it was twenty million. Yeah. Really? Very. And I, it was one of the movies where, like, the actor had to get paid like this crazy amount because he didn't want to do it. Which uh, now it's twenty million isn't that crazy, but at the time it was. Oh my god, yeah, because you got to think that movie's at least twenty years old, probably more. Yeah. I might be off on that, but I know it's a very crazy number that they had to pay him to do. It. Wow. Well, good, he deserved joke because he's fucking. Yeah, dead. I know exactly. Exactly. The Joker as well, but he signed some deal where he got like a percentage, and he ended up making like hundreds of millions off. Oh, did he? Joke. Yeah, that's awesome because that's the only reason to watch that friggin' movie. I agree. I agree. Let's see. Uh, coming to Shutter in July, we have the Ninth Gate. What's that one? That with, with um, is that the old Johnny Depp one? 
Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I like that one with him and um, I did too. Frank Langella. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie. Uh, American movie, which I I love. American movie. Oh we had, yeah, uh, me too. Man on the show. How how do you recommend it? He went there. He's not seen American movie. You should definitely check that out. Yep, it's a I documentary agree. about a. Uh, you know, if uh, we did end up having him on the show, but if he would have been, if we would have had. The internet would have been around at that time, which it was, but like it was in, in its infancy, really. Uh, it would have been a guy like we would have had on the show, probably. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, single white female. I've never really been a fan of that movie. It's aight. It's not, not my favorite, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't dislike it, but there's, I think I've watched it once. Yeah. Uh, Ratter. What's that? I don't know. Ratter from uh, 2015. The Mind's Eye. Creep Show 2. Nice. Uh, Ruin Me, which is a Shutter exclusive. Ooh. You should try to look that one up. Yeah. Is it Ruin, like, you know, in ruins, or is it like a Viking Ruin? Yeah. R U I N. Okay. Alexander reluctantly tags along for slash or sleep out and ex- part haunted house and part escape room. But where the fun turns deadly, Alex has to play the game if she wants to make it out alive. Ooh. I don't know. That doesn't, doesn't sound no, too good. That sounds pretty lame. So is that an actual thing? Escape room? Is that like a. Oh yeah, a genre. Uh, oh, escape oh. room is what you go you you go and do. This is like a th- I think they even have one in the um, Kingston Mall by us, but it's real big out in L.A. and stuff. Like, so you get a group of people and you go in a room uh, and like there's little things you got to do to try to get to get escape it. Oh no, I I I was ignorant to this. Yeah, and about one to do it when we were in uh, LA it was not my deal and uh, Jason wanted to do it last time we were in Texas but again it's oh. not something I really want to do hmm get out of the room okay maybe, maybe if I was something new. when uh, I was a young guy I would have escaped from a room I don't know it just seems kind of dumb like I don't know yeah, go in the room and like get the to figure out clues and this kind of seems kind of jackass to me. <laughs> it kind of seems like LARPing or something. Yeah, it does. It does indeed. Uh, Rainy Dog? What kind of movie is that? I've never heard of that one. Rainy Dog. Let Lines? A Christmas Horror Story, which which I, I'm a fan of. Yep. Uh, Shutter exclusive show Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. Oh, that was on TV, wasn't that for a while? Yeah, 2010 to 2011. I never watched Kung... it. Yeah, me neither. That may be fun to watch. Yeah. Kung Fu Killer. All right, I thought you going to say Kung Fu Panda. I was <laughs> wondering why that was going to be on Shutter. And Threads from 1984. Threads. All right, mm. does, do they have a, you know, what that, that one's all about? No, I'll look it up here on IMDb. All right. 
let's see here. The effects of a well, there's a lot of nuclear stuff on lately. The effects of a nuclear holocaust on the working class city of Sheffield, England, and the eventual long term effects of nuclear war and civilization. Mm. That sounds pretty downbeat, man. I don't know. Yeah. It says it's a drama here. It doesn't say it's a horror movie. Huh. <laughs> Might be good. I don't know. Yeah. An odd title, though. Yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff coming to Hulu. Captivity. Devil's Pass. Don't Look Now. From 1973. Mm. Be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, Flesh and Blood grabbers hot in their skin. The Jeffrey Dahmer files. Rosemary. Excellent movie. Nice. Saw uh, six. Go on, sorry. Um, I think grabbers. I think I actually watched that on one of the other uh, channels. If it's the same one, I think it was. Is it like a weird western with these, like uh? Know if they were subterranean worms or some crazy thing like that, just kind of like uh, tremors. Although they're they're more like human sized critters. Uh, oh, I don't know. It was one that sounded That's... interesting, but it wasn't really very good. It says here it's an when an island off the coast of Ireland is invaded by blood sucking aliens. The heroes discover. That getting drunk is the only way to survive. All right, it's a completely different movie. <laughs> uh, sounds kind of dumb, but hey, who knows? Yeah. Uh, Aunt, let's see where, oh, oh, Maniac, the remake. Uh, oh, nice. I cool. like that, too. Yeah. Uh, the Wraith. Have you ever seen them? The Wraith? I f- oh, my God. Is that the, the it's got a car? Uh, yeah. Or is it a, a car is a bike? Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, Clint Howard's in that, isn't he? Yeah. yeah Damn right something. he is. Clint it's Howard's got great she... hair in that movie. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a, I, it's a, I would recommend it, but don't go in thinking you're watching a good movie. I would, too, if it's someone I don't you're, like. You're right, it's, you're right, it's a car. For some reason, I was thinking it was a motorcycle. It's, and... yeah. Can't believe you'd forget that important fact about that movie. <laughs> Uh, uh, the Vatican Tapes Strain Season 2 The Vatican uh, Tapes? Yeah I don't know what that is Man, then there's uh, some stuff that you can still watch on Hulu Including Halloween Pussy Trap Kill Kill Well, hell yeah uh, Good ones up there though Friday 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 Okay. The whole Leprechaun Franchise Manhunter. Oh, Very good. Good. Do they have a list of uh, Amazon Prime, or was that already part of your? List? Uh, that was not on my on my list. There. Oh, okay. Every now and then they'll sneak in something that I hadn't seen before. Hmm. Let's see here. Uh, January twenty fourth, twenty. The date all our fans will be looking forward to. Uh, let's see here. The sh- uh, Doctor Sleep. No, get out. Yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Is not often where like a sequel really blows my mind, 
That was one of the books it did. Like, I just absolutely... Well, I guess it's kind of like Interview with a Vampire into um, into Vampire Lestat. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Sleep, I, I like just as much as The Shining. I really do. Really? Yep. And I didn't know this, but, uh, but Ewan McGregor plays Danny. No. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Cooler and cooler, Neil. It's... Oh, I think you're going to love the story. It's... Just such a really cool story to it. Yeah. And the pack and, uh, my, of like villains are so awesome in that. They're just like the coolest group of like evil things. And Mike Flanagan is a directing who uh, directed uh, or edited uh, Gerald's game. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, that's, I'm so, so excited about that. What's the date on that? Uh, 20, January of 2020. So oh, two son years. of a bitch. That's a wild await, man. Yeah. Interesting enough, Mike Flanagan was born in Salem, Massachusetts. Ah. Too cool. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever read his, the Stephen King movie, uh, novel, The Outsider? I'm just reading it now. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. I, I'm halfway through it. It's really good. I don't know how it's the being, hell it's gonna finish up. It's it's more of like a like a crime thriller. It's like a mm-hmm. murder mystery type thing. Uh huh. Or at least so far. I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll get wacky near the end. Hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it's be, it's gonna be a mini series. Oh, wow! That's pretty awesome. Hmm. That sounds very, very cool. I'm telling you that all this King stuff lately, this the last year or two, I've really been loving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have too. I'm, I'm really because um, I really think a lot of his old stuff was very hit or miss. There was some great yep. adaptations, some pretty lousy ones, some yep. just okay ones, and uh, all these last few I, I've really dug. Even I even like the Dark Tower. I know. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it, but uh, it was great, and yeah. and the, all, both the ones made for the uh, for Netflix. <laughs> oh yeah, <coughs> excuse me. Um, all right. Even the ones um, that were more like uh, places that you didn't expect, like um, what was it? Was it the Big Driver? And it was on. Yeah, I like, never did see that. Oh, you should watch it. It, it was actually for, for um, it was on some strange network that you'd never expect. You know, it was like not the Hallmark Network, but something like that. Mm. And they did a they did a really good job with it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, FX is adapting Victor Laval's The Changeling into a TV series. It says. Uh, the story is set in New York around monsters and witches that only a few can see. Ooh. That'd be interesting. Well, yeah, that sounds cool, too. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, James Cameron has regained the rights to the Terminator. Oh, he lost them? I guess I assume so. Oh. And uh, Tim Miller, directed the de- director of Deadpool, is going to be directing the new Terminator film. Uh-huh. So it's going to have a lot It'll of be, dick jokes in it. <laughs> and it's going to be a direct sequel to Terminator 2. Okay. So they're, they're going to skip 
part three and four and all or whatever these, else. Yeah. And the show. All right. Uh, I guess. I like the I other ones. I know the, some, uh, I do too. I guess with I the Terminator, though, them. when you're talking about, like, you know, timelines. Time yeah, so I, I can, yeah, I can kind of see, you yeah. know, doing something like that. So I, I'm not opposed to it. Me neither. And, I, and I'm glad that I'll, uh, Linda Hamilton's back. Oh, Connor. is she? Oh, good. Yeah. That'll be cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it Chapter 2 has officially begun production. About friggin' time. Mm-hmm. I've been jonesing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I love. I don't care uh, what anyone says. I thought it was amazing. Yep. yep I think most people did love it, but there was like this weird backlash against it once it started to do really well. I think. Yeah, it's it's weird when you get stuff like that. It's it's kind of like the Marvel movies when you know. All of a sudden, people like, oh, my God, this stuff's great. I can't wait for the new one. Oh, I hate this stuff. Well, why? <laughs> I don't get that. Yeah, I don't either. Well, I mean, if you like it, you like it. You know? Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. If you don't like them, that's cool. You know, don't go watch them. Watch something else. But Yeah, there's lots of movies I don't like, but I'm not yeah. like, they can't they can stop making these movies so no one else can enjoy them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was like, you know, I never got into, like, the Harry Potter stuff, but, like, the people that liked them, man, were like, that's awesome. Keep watching them, you know? That's great. Yeah, I like, I like them. Yeah. Awesome. Like that, we we just saw the trailer for um, the new one. Well, it's not, is, are those prequels to Harry Potter? Is that what that's Yeah, called? prequels. Pre- yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really my bag, but like you know, it's good to see Eric yeah, like Redmayne and stuff. I always like him. Mm-hmm. So, um, I try, I've already seen Solo, and then so I loved it, and so yep. uh, Troy not seen it, so uh, we went to see it again, and I loved it watching it again, and uh, I think Troy dug it too. Oh man, I did definitely did. I I think one of my new people that. Whenever I see him in a movie, I can just go see the movie and not worry about it. It's Woody Harrelson over the last, like, eight years or whatever it's been. He's just been great and everything. And <laughs> But this movie, like, I, I just thought, I, I love, they just, you jumped right into it right from the get-go. There was no, like, you know, lol, there was no, you know, well, we're going to give you some way back backstory like they did, you know, with Darth Vader and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, boom, no, here's young Han Solo, and we're going to just go from there, zap right into it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it was just like, like a nice, cool, kind of like an old school Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, just, you know, adventure kind of cool movie i just i I love the look of it i thought all the actors were great Mm -hmm. yeah i thought everyone nailed it i thought uh you know everyone was i it's weird i think there was like people trying to sabotage the movie before it even came out because like it was getting all these negative reviews before it was even released and the people were saying oh the the actor is so bad in it before a lot of this stuff was before it came out and then it came out and it's like all these people already had like this preconceived notion that it's this terrible movie and a big flop and yep. uh, it's very weird and I went to see it and was like I thought he was as perfect as Han Solo and I, oh, I, I yeah. liked how he kind of slowly became Han Solo, Solo in the movie 
you know, and the guy who plays uh, uh, Lando's. The young Lando's awesome. He is just so cool. Yeah, and um, the guy who plays the Vision, what's his name? Yeah, I'm not sure, but he's really good as the villain. Yeah, he's the villain in it, and he's great, I thought. I just, I just, I, I really, really enjoyed that movie. I, I have it's no complaints really about movie. it. Yeah, it's a very fun movie, and it, it really, to me, he really felt like watching the original Star Wars movies. Yeah, it definitely it's did. Fun. It's kind of like the Star Wars without the, uh, without like the mysticism. Yeah, oh, which yeah. is fine. It's just because the characters don't have it, and uh, I, I really don't. And even just the little, the little. Characters you might even see for like a few seconds are fun, which is you know just oh, like were, the original Star Wars. Yeah, there were a ton of things that Neil and I just like cracked up when when they'd happen. It was like kind of like on the on the old Star Wars things when you didn't expect like um, just some of this like Muppet Show type like craziness when a big uh, critter will uh, eat a little critter or something. And, like, it, this one has a bunch of that stuff. Things just... And you never see them again. It's just a one-shot thing, and it's just awesome. And then, yeah, you know, it's just really on. fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like, there's one guy eating his fingernails, and he's like... Bah, 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 bah. Oh, yeah. And it's just, just... It's very funny. Buzzes through him like an old Warner Brothers cartoon. It's awesome. Yeah. And I think uh, the you could make the argument that this Star Wars film... Uh, ties in uh, Lovecraft because there's a big, you know, space monster thing that's all kinds of tentacles and big oh, eyes. Yeah, that and... thing's awesome too. Yep. Yeah, it's not and... necessarily a big part. Well, it's a part of the movie, but I oh, think yeah. you could make the argument that that is like a Lovecraft monster. Oh yeah, definitely because it's just ginormous. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, no spoilers, but one of the cool cameos at the end of the movie. Um, for for one of like the just the most bitching Star Wars characters, I was mm-hmm. just very yep. happy to see that. Yeah, and, and our uh, principal at the school put, said that was his highlight too. When he saw that, he was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, was, out. I'm like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, and the re- and the references, you know, going to Tant- Tantooine to, to yeah, oh, to yeah. See, uh, the big yeah, that's great and. So there were plans to do three, and I've seen now they put them all on hold. All the all the future spinoff series, and uh, that's a, that's unfortunate to me because I love the movie and I, I would like to see more of them. Yeah, but you never know. I mean, this this one really might catch its audience like a yeah. little later on, or you know. Yeah. So so hopefully it isn't dead because I, I really like to see them continue it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it. I really loved it a lot. I, I don't yep. understand the the hate for it. No, no. Yeah, especially if you know people went to see it. Like you know, if Star Wars movies aren't your trip and you don't want to go see it, that's fine and dandy. But like, if you're a Star Wars fan and you don't want to go see this one, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Pet Cemetery start the new Pet Cemetery uh, start is being done. It's weird because I don't think it's one that needs to be done because I think it's perfect. Oh, it yeah. Is, I think it might be the best horror adaptation of yep. a King uh, novel. Yeah, but at the same time, favorites. I mean, yeah. At the same time, though, I, I mean, and I will watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah, same here. 
because you never know. I mean, they might really, really grab it, and it it might do the same thing as it. Like, wow, I love the old one, but this one's just as good, you know, in a different way. Mm-hmm. I was wondering who you get as a Judd because it's hard to beat uh, uh, Herman Munster. Oh, you but can. I just saw it. Yeah, but John Lithgow is the new Judd. That's pretty oh, awesome. Oh, you go from Fred Fred Gwendo to uh, John. You can't beat John Lithgow though. He's the I know, man. that's pretty awesome. If he can do a main accent. A man inside <laughs> Estonia. That's right. <laughs> Lewis, reap what you sow. <laughs> so, uh, Gee, John, uh, our main problem. accent's not very and good. We're, and we're around, uh, we're around him. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, let's see here. John Bernthal is going to be returned into The Walking Dead season nine. Which which guy is he? Shane. That's oh, like his but his cop buddy. Wow. So I assume it's going to be like flashback scene. I don't think he could yeah. just come back. Let's okay. see if he comes back as a zombie. Just for, I don't know. Just walking by. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Is that the guy that's the Punisher? It's the Punisher. Yes. Yeah. It's weird because I, I honestly thought he's a very bad actor on The Walking Dead, but I think I he's very good him on The, the Walking Dead. But he's the perfect yeah. Punisher. Uh, he, he's like uh, you know, yeah. he's got that character nailed. Mm-hmm. I think um, yeah. season I'll be two of uh, Luke Cage starts tomorrow, maybe. Oh really? I think so. Check you on Netflix. Very cool. I've got to catch up on the the uh, other one. Oh, uh, did you watch all of? Oh yeah, you watch all of Luke Cage. Yeah, I watched all. I watch all Luke Cage. I watched. Uh, I'm all caught up except for I haven't. I like to watch all the seasons of all of them. Yeah, and I have yeah. not watched season two of. Uh, oh, Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. Okay, yeah. but you've seen the Defenders and all that jazz leading up. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Which then again, I didn't under quite get the hate, the hate for the. Uh, I thought the defenders actually was very good. Yeah. And uh, I thought I thought uh, uh, Iron Fist was fine. So I did I. I really enjoyed Iron Fist. Uh, like it yeah. might be the weakest of them, but I still thought it was good. Yeah. Yep. Definitely worth watching. Yeah. It's and some I really of the secondary the characters were great in that. Oh yeah, the yeah. defenders I loved. Yeah, so I, I didn't, I don't know. <laughs> People no. like to hate a lot of stuff. That's true. Something that's too much, like, prosperity, I guess. It's like, you gotta, gotta jump on it for some reason. Yeah. I saw, I think it's AMC is is doing their own, like, version of um, a movie pass. And I saw some people like, oh, well, it's a better deal than movie pass. But it's also twice as much. It's nineteen ninety nine, and I was like, I don't. Know. I'd rather pay ten and go to any theater than that. Oh to pay yeah, to to and you movies. can only go to them. And isn't theirs only like I think it's what three movies three a week movies or a something? Week. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's only Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I might be wrong about that. But... Oh. So I don't see how it was better in any way. No, me either. I'll stick with the movie pass. Yeah, which I hope stays around. I love movie pass. So it was I. weird 
because I keep getting all these e- emails and like texts like go see Gotti and I'm like what the hell it looks awful and then uh, I like why are they why is movie pass pushing Gotti on me so much and then I, I found out it's because they invested in Gotti oh why did they do that I don't know it really looks crap like shit and I it love does. mafia movies yep oh, it looks bad. It's like it we looks were like saying a reenactment. Like yeah, it does. Show. It does. And then, like, Travolta just looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm John Gotti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me drugs. Give me drugs. That's it. He's doing his sweat hog thing all over. <laughs> it looks just like shit. It they should have got a. <laughs> if he was still alive, they should have got, you know, um. One of the other guys to play like uh, a Scarface or something. I would have been awesome. Yeah, just like um, yeah, you get all those sweat dogs together. Mm-hmm. They should have done that. Should have like you know had some movie where you could get them all together one one last time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that made for sci-fi one. The um, oh, Lavalanchula, and they got all like the old people from. Uh, from Police Academy together for that one. Mm-hmm. Which, strangely enough, kind of worked. It was actually like a really fun movie. Yeah, I've never... Uh, that was... um. It's weird because the one that gets all, like, to mention is the one that I think is, like, one of the worst ones, is the Sharknado movie. Oh, yeah, but yep. I, I think a lot of the other ones are a lot better, a lot more fun. Yep. Yeah, the Sharknadoes, you just wait around to see, like, the cameos. That's pretty much it for those. Yeah. But yeah. the Lavalangela, like, was actually, like, you know, it, it it took itself a little more seriously, I guess. So it made for, mm-hmm. like, a better movie. And the comedy, like, worked better in it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, some new stuff that's coming out. New stuff sounds good, though. Yeah, uh, the nuns coming out soon, and the 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 first purge. I say every purge movie. I'm like, well, the first one's like, wow, this looks great. And I went to yeah. see it. Like, <laughs> I love the concept. Stinks. The second movie, like, well, this one looks better. I, I have to be honest, I never saw the second. Third one, I was like, this one looks very good. I finally saw it. And I'm like, oh, it's not very good. Like, it's okay. Yeah, it's better than the first, but it's not that good. This one, like, it looks good, but I know it's just not going to be very good. No, you know, down deep inside, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, it's like it's such a good concept, but they never pull it off very well. Yeah, yep, I agree. Maybe the origin of it, I don't know. I think you need some, <laughs> you need some like a, a more clever writer to yeah. come up with, you know, something interesting. Yeah, it's true. That's always the letdown. Yeah, it just becomes like, you know, a run-of-the-mill people just... The first one really is just a home invasion movie. Yep. And then, like, these other ones, it's just people killing each other. But there's not really much... uh, Outside of just the the idea of it, there's not a lot of cleverness. And that last one, they had some great, like, ads, like, uh, for it, you know, playing up the, you know basically playing up the the trump stuff 
And oh, it was yeah. very, it was very clever with the way they did it. Uh, I think it should have just been trailers and never been a movie. Maybe. I, yeah, I, maybe that whole series of movies should should have just been trailers. Yeah, they, they, they must be successful though because they keep coming out. <laughs> I know. I guess so. I, I don't really know anyone who's like loving them. Really. <laughs> no, I've never met anybody that you know. Because some things that you know people like that you know aren't really my trip. Like Saw, I can see how people would like those. But yeah. I've never, I've never heard anyone say anything like, "Man, I can't wait for this next Purge movie." No. Only poor suckers <laughs> like you. They say, "Man, that trailer looks good. I'm gonna go see this new one." <laughs> Man, uh, I'll go see that. I'll probably, you know, if things work out, if I'm in, if I'm in around a the theater and I've got the movie pass, I mean, it's a movie I'll probably go see. Oh yeah, yep. When when do they list the um? The movies that are going to be at your uh, thing in England, you and Jason. I think next month. Oh, okay. Because I'm just kind of intrigued because I I saw a list, but it was the one in Scotland. They do one, I guess, also in Scotland. Yeah, they do two uh, a year, I believe. Oh, okay. So I was looking for the list for this one, and I, I didn't find it. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think it's it's. I did see a trailer for something that I, I definitely want to see, but I don't know where it will play because it's it's a short film, mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, Troll Bridge, and the late great Terry Pratchett, who did the Discworld books, one of his characters was uh, Cohen the Barbarian, and he was this you know. At one time, he was this ferocious Conan-type guy, but now he's like, he's probably in his late 80s, early 90s. So he's, you know, he's kind of done it all, seen it all, but he's kind of slowed down a little bit in his old age. And he comes to this bridge, and there's a troll, and he's kind of reminiscent about the good old days when every bridge had, like, a troll under it, and, you know, all the trolls would have giant clubs, and it's just, it's a great story, and uh, I'm really, I'd love to see the short, but I don't know if I'll be able to anywhere. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping you guys get to see it. Maybe they'll show it that thing. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So uh, last week, uh, last Sunday was uh, Father's Day, so I asked the Without Your Head group, which you can go and join at facebook.com slash group slash Without Your Head Horror, uh, what their favorite horror father was. So what did you get in response? So uh, Vera has a grandpa in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. Uh, Eva has Satan from Rosemary's Baby. Tough to beat Satan. Uh, Jeff Ball is Nancy's dad in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Was that John Saxon, I think, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I picked Nathan Grantham in Creepshow. Excellent choice. Ah, I've got my cake. Yeah, that might be my favorite one, too. (laughs) It's Father's Day, and I want my cake. You bitch! (laughs) You You called me a bitch! (laughs) I love that movie. Let's let's watch it again. Jim Baker, Craig T. Nelson, Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. Craig T. Nelson's starting to look pretty old. Old man, 
Yeah, yeah, I saw him recently. Uh, Jerry and Stepfather. Okay, good choice. Yeah, I haven't seen that for a while. I tell uh, you, these are all reasonably good choices up there. Yeah. Uh, Robin Anderson, Jack Torrance. Oh, yeah, yep. Esther Mullings, uh, James Brolin, and the Amityville Horror. Okay, cool. No. Well, as Freddy, Freddy himself, Freddy Krueger. Okay. Uh, Jason Mitten has Big Ronnie in the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> Gotta love Big Ronnie. That's a great uh, choice. That is a great choice. Honorable mention, he says, is the stepfather Johnny Gavino in Burning Bright. Well, I don't know. Mm. Nor do I. Mm. Martin Jormungandar says, come to daddy in Hellraiser. It's uh, Frank. Seamless Frank is wearing oh, uh, her okay. father's skin. At the time. It's not really her father. but Eric, she says, not exactly horror, but James Hampton from Teen Wolf. Whoa. <laughs> it's another one that I'm, I don't understand. I never understood the fascination with No, I don't get that one either. Uh, Casey Bates. Decapitated Dad in Freddy vs. Jason. All right. I don't really know that one either. But. Uh, where's my Kate Creep show? Oh, Jessica yeah. Jones. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Scott Bailey. Uh, Sir John Talbot. Leave the son oh, right up. Oh, hell the- yeah. Who's that? Um, Lawrence Talbot's dad. Oh. Oh, oh Wolfman's okay, yeah. dead. Yeah, and he, either one, you know, you got the, the old one. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the Invisible Man, Claude Rains, is is uh, mm-hmm. is the dad. And then in the new one, you got uh, Hannibal Lecter, Odin. Um, mm-hmm. God, what's his name? That's terrible. Shame on Hannibal him. Lecter. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Rick Solis is the stepfather in Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween. I okay. Can, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that character in the movie, but I like the actor yeah. a lot. Frank Rose, gotta get it up to the dad in Halloween 3, who led his son to a cricket filled death. Okay. <laughs> hey, boy, they still so There you go. I'm sure. I love that movie. Yep. That was some great choices, though. Yeah. And we also had a poll up here. It was uh, your favorite season of American Horror Story. Ooh. So, in Tough it, the, the dead show. last. I mean, uh, what's freak the show? That was my, yeah, that's what I show. picked. Yeah. Uh, Cult only had one vote. Yeah. Uh, was that the most recent one? Yes. Yeah. Hotel in Roanoke uh, tied for after that with uh, four votes each. Jeez, I I didn't like Roanoke, but I really liked the hotel one. Uh, Freak show then with uh, 15 votes. Nice. And number four, Murder House. That's the first season with 19 votes. I I like that one a lot, too. Uh, uh, number two is Coven with 20 votes. Like them. And uh, uh, their favorite season of American Horror Story 
with 27 votes, Asylum. Well, that's funny. That was one of my least favorite seasons. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I think it starts out good, and then like it really loses its way very fast. Yeah. And then it just kind of repeats itself. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think there's like, now that there are more seasons, there might be more seasons that I don't like more than I do like. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there's three seasons I really favorite. like. Oh, that one's, that one's awesome. That's my top mm-hmm. dog, too. Yeah, I think it's the best from beginning to end. Yep. I think I, I really enjoyed four of the seasons. So maybe... Well, how many seasons have there been? Seven? Yeah, I just left it. Or Something eight. like that. Seven or eight, I think. Yeah. Yeah, seven, I think. Because I think they renewed it for eight and nine. Oh, okay. But I am always looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about it. What do you think? Get to these uh, to the endless. Yes, let us get to the end list, my brother. All right. So uh, we're going to have, uh, I'll just let you know, I recorded this earlier interview with uh, the creators of the end list. So uh, check that out. And if you're in the Boston area, it's playing, it starts Friday night and it's playing, uh, I believe, uh, for a week at the Brattle Theater. And nice. if you're not in the area, you can get it on Blu ray, Blu ray, DVD. And uh, a video on demand, the 26th, so next week. Excellent. So, well, uh, please, for one second. I do want to say I did get to see um, 2001 uh, Space Odyssey on the big screen recently. That was the first time you saw it on the big screen, right? Yeah, yeah. And nice. it was, uh, they explained the print. It was, it was at the Coolidge Corner Theater, which I absolutely love. And, if you're not in the area, you should like seek out. You might have a similar theater in your area. You know that shows you know uh, independent movies, art house movies, older movies, stuff like that. So anyway, um, they took a a uh, the original uh, negative and they made a uh, a um, copy of it, like a duplication mm-hmm. of. It. And so they said this is basically exactly how you would have seen the movie if you would have saw it in 1968. That's awesome. And it was, um, and it was, uh, in 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that this screen, this was ever, this copy of it was ever screened. Oh, wow. So that's pretty wild. And so I had a wonderful time. They had they had the uh, the music at the beginning, the overture. Uh, they had the intermission. Nice. And they had more music than the movie. And uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I've seen it many times. I I really liked the beginning of the movie with the apes. Uh, then there is a big lull in the movie that I'm not a fan of. I have to admit, <laughs> uh, with the scientists and really doesn't have much to do with the rest of the movie. I think it's kind of just kind of looking at how cool, like the spaceship and everything looks. Mm-hmm. And then once you get back to, uh, once you get to the spaceship with Hal and Dave and the rest of the, uh, the people, then I think it's an amazing film, you know, from there. And it was, mm-hmm. it was a good time, especially, you know, I could see definitely if I was, uh, 
if I was one to partake in acid, you probably would really just, <laughs> you know, have a great time at the end of the movie when everything's just going crazy. And it was cool because they did a show of hands, like who's seen it for the first time. There's a bunch of people. And then they said, who, see, who saw it in 1968? And there was uh, a lot of older people there who saw it in 1968. That's awesome. And there was even an older guy next to me. It was a pretty old guy. And um, so he probably saw it when he was like 30 because he might have been 80, I think. And he okay. told me that he saw it in 1968 in that theater at the Coolidge. Huh. That's badass. Which I thought was pretty wild. Yeah, that's great. All right, so very cool. So anyway, uh, here comes the Endless. This is Asti Neal. This is Terrible Troy. And this is Without Your Head. Enjoy the Endless. <laughs> From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, <laughs> the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. We should The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by filmmakers and stars of The Endless, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing really good. Thank you for having us. So it's a really unusual movie. Uh, so where did the, instead of asking, it's kind of, if I ask what it's about, it's kind of hard to explain, but where did the idea originate from? Yeah, um, the idea basically came from uh we have this this movie from 2012 that very few people saw and very few people will see it's just this little micro budget movie with a tiny release it was never meant to be a big thing it did well for what it was and it's called uh it's called resolution and uh we figured out over the course of about five or six years that we just kept talking about the characters and the mythology of this tiny movie and um mm-hmm we were inspired to tell another story in that universe, but tell and tell it in such a way that we'd be very careful that no one would ever have to have any knowledge of this really obscure other film called resolution that we made. Um, so there, there was that point of inspiration. And then uh, there was also just the desire to go out and make something and be self-reliant because we realized that after our second movie spring, we had become a bit complacent and that we were constantly waiting on investors or casts to just go make a movie. And we'd become sort of professional meeting takers and email senders as opposed to, you know, the do-it-yourself filmmakers that we've always been. So we, Mm -hmm. so we uh, developed this story that we could just go out and make given the resources that we have. Mm -hmm. So would you say you broke your own loop then with, uh, with the third movie? Instead of self-financing it, you, uh, yeah. uh, you know, you... in a, in a way we didn't, uh, we didn't, uh, the movie isn't obviously a commentary on our own careers. Cause that would be the most ridiculous sure. and solipsistic thing for us to do. But, uh, but it definitely reflects something we were feeling. Um, and, and yeah, I guess you're right. How, how did you uh, get together to be creative partners? Oh, 
we were interns together at a commercial production company. Um, and, uh, and all that means is we were moving people's mail around, like competing to move people's mail around. That was all you could do to keep yourself sane. But we sat at the same table and started talking and we had some similar interests. And, um, and so we started working together over the course of about a year. And, uh, and then, um, and then we started co-directing and, um, and then when we, uh, when we started that, we made resolution, which was our first film that, uh, that it gave us any kind of, um, success. And we got into Tribeca in, uh, 2012 and that kind of started it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, when you have co-directors, do you, is, how does that work? You guys butt heads or, uh, do you see uh, one is better at one thing, one's better at another thing. Is it is it like a seamless uh, unit? Uh, closer to seamless unit. Uh, before we ever started making films together, we each had about a decade of just do-it-yourself filmmaking experience, and um, we both continue to see ourselves rather than like directors specifically. We're more like just the general category. We're filmmakers, and we happen to have almost identical instincts and we're with every project from conception to finish. So, you know, if you look at directing as a job where you're just basically answering a billion questions every day, to some extent, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Every department, you're always going to get the same answer from either one of us because again, very similar instincts. And we've just been with the project together since the beginning. And, um, and we both wear a lot of hats. All right. So uh, what's the story with uh, House of the Rising Sun in the movie and uh, several different versions of the song? Yeah, we, um, you know, the, that song is based off of an old poem. And so the lyrics are oh, public. Oh, really? And, uh, and so that's why, that's that. how us, uh, us, we filmmakers are able to actually make that happen. Um, but the, uh, the idea is, is a few things. One is it's about, um, it's actually a, the, the, the song's lyrics are a warning from uh, uh, one family member to another to not repeat their mistakes, um, which is obviously thematically resonant in our film. And there's, there's only a few songs in our public consciousness like that, that maybe like Hotel California, um, that have these, these lyrics that are deeply creepy, but also have a pop sensibility. And, um, and so we chose that because we knew um, it works very, very well with the film uh, thematically. And also um, it, uh, it wouldn't blow up our budget, but, uh, but again, the melody is, is owned by, you know, probably the animals or something like that, but we didn't want to do a melody like theirs. So we did, uh, you know, we, we invented our own and, um, and in many different uh, incarnations uh, because Spoiler alert, um, there's these time loops that have been around for hundreds of years. So we wanted to, we have, we have a version of the film that sounds like, or the song that sounds like it was composed nowadays, one that sounds like mm-hmm. it was composed in 1900, one that sounds like it was composed around the 50s, one that was a little earlier, a little later. Um, and and mm-hmm. it spread throughout the film in order to just give a, a feeling of um, uh, the, the progression of time. Yeah. Uh, with the idea that it's been around for hundreds of years, and obviously in the movie you have the cabinets filled with uh, like film reels and cassettes and VHS tapes, how uh, the the thing, the deity, whatever it is, uh, communicates with people. So, like before technology, did you guys have it like in in your mind, even if not in the movie, like how it would have uh, communicated with people? 
Yeah, actually, our first movie dives into that a bit. It's funny, it's never, it's never set out loud. Oh, okay. Um, but I think if you mm-hmm. watch our first movie, Resolution, after you watch The Endless, you'll realize that this, uh, this ancient deity actually used to use cave paintings. Um, oh, uh, I actually wrote that in my notes. But, <laughs> and, and, go, and then and from everything from cave paintings to still photographs to, to uh, everything, basically. But um, yeah. And then before that, it probably communicated by like, you know, very early Homo sapien, like looked at a magic mushroom and thought, hey, that looks interesting. and like to eat that. And they ate it. And then and, and like the ancient data communicated by like going into their, their own sort of affected brain and gave them images that way. Mm-hmm. Now, you have the, the Lovecraft quote at the beginning. Uh, what is it about Lovecraft that you guys are interested in? And uh, do you see this movie, The Endless, as a Lovecraftian tale? It's funny. We actually have to go back a little bit for that, because with Resolution and Spring, they were both described as Lovecraftian. And to be really uh, embarrassingly honest, Justin and I hadn't read any Lovecraft. (laughs) Barely even knew who he was. Uh Um, I I think if somebody had asked me who Lovecraft was, I would say, I think he might be a romance novelist, like Lovecraft. I don't know. I, I just, I, I knew he was important, but that was about it. And, right. um, and then, so between spring and this film, we, we caught up of course on, on who he was because uh, we, we don't, we're not proud of our own ignorance. And, uh, and so we decided to steer into it because yes, uh, we, we don't disagree that resolution and spring are Lovecraftian films. Uh, we just, we just were not inspired by him directly were probably mm-hmm. inspired by people who read him that we read, like Stephen King or Alan Moore, stuff like that. So, you know, right. indirectly, I'm sure, um, you know, he pervades all horror. He is the, the godfather of horror uh, in our century. So, um, so I'm sure he's touched us in some way that we just weren't aware of. We don't want to deny that. Um, sure. In the endless, we steered into it a little bit further uh, because uh, this. Uh, mystery is particularly Lovecraftian because it's so cosmic and so much about um, ancient uh, ancient deities and the idea that you know it's it's less a monster with claws and horns and more something that if you looked at it you'd go nuts. That that's more of a Lovecraftian idea, and mm-hmm. uh, and so him as myth maker, uh, but also him as the the king of um, unknowable fear. We wanted to uh, to embrace that. So yes, I would call the film Lovecraftian, but Justin and I didn't have more than a passing conversation about Lovecraft when developing this film. Uh, mm-hmm. But it definitely shares plenty of similarities with his sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about the name itself, The Endless? Uh, how did you come up with that name? Because I think it's uh, really fitting because uh, there's something about the word uh, The Endless as it's not necessarily like a positive thing. Even though, you know, maybe uh, I don't give away m- m- too much of the movie, but uh, something forever can sound like appealing, but endless kind of there's a it seems a little uh, negative in a way. Yeah, it it's uh, we had a lot of long discussions about it and. There's something about like, oh, it's you know what, it, it our movies at their core is, I guess, maybe the best way to describe them as opposed to like horror or sci-fi or thriller, which are also great ways to describe, but a big thing is like mystery. It's mm-hmm. like a, a great, a great title for a movie with a central mystery. And that it is also like, Oh, that describes 
the conflict between the, the two main characters. It describes the genre component of the film, but without, without you wouldn't go into it and be like, it's called The Endless, so it's going to be about the thing that's revealed in the third act. You, you wouldn't pick that up. And mm-hmm. uh, what else? What other reasons do we have for it? That's basically it. It sounds cool. It looks cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. It makes critics feel bad for writing. They feel like no one wants to be the cheesy person that says it feels endless. So how important it is, is it for you to be uh, currently number one on Rotten Tomatoes for horror movies and, uh, this year? Oh, important isn't quite the, the word. I mean, it's not important to us. It's not like, all right. If we're going to make this movie, it's got to be number one on Rotten sure, Tomatoes. Sure, sure, but, Well, does uh, it mean anything but, uh, uh, for people to go see it or, or anything like that? Yeah. As independent filmmakers, we have um, very, very little in, in the way of, uh, of the ability to broadcast the message that this film exists. Um, it, it's not something that you can pay for like Marvel movies where they just throw it on billboards and buses and everything. So the, the awareness of the film can only really come from um, from people like yourself and and from uh, from grassroots movements and uh, and one of the main places that people go to decide if they want to see a movie or not is Rotten Tomatoes. So being placed uh, as as the number one horror film of the year so far um, helps our film's visibility so um, so enormously in a way that that we couldn't possibly do ourselves with the the marketing abilities that that we and our distributors have um that uh that, yeah we we absolutely adore it we just hope we don't let anyone down right all right really cool i saw spring at the coolidge uh theater in boston and i'm like i've already seen endless but i'm looking forward to seeing it on the big screen it's playing at the brattle this weekend in boston and hope everyone else could come out and check it out on the big screen and if not you can get on video on man on dvd and blu-ray june 26th the Endless. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. You made a promise. A promise to me. But you couldn't take it
should have thought it out Oh, you can't kill a girl Without a soul sticking around Oh, sleep tight, 